Hey comics fans, this is Aaron Conley, creator of Saber 2 Swordsman and co-creator of Bully Wars. You're listening to 11 O'Clock's Comics. <laughs> We've been away for a long time. It's been a week and a day. Yeah. It does feel long. Yeah, it's been eight days. It feels like, I mean, it feels like a month. It does. It, you're, no, you're absolutely right. Today's just been a long-ass day, and I'm, I'm glad we're doing this because I need it. But um, so you. Su- su- surprise, uh, <laughs> listeners, we are we're going to be a day late for the foreseeable future. We're, we're, we're changing our schedule. We're recording on Thursday nights now instead of Wednesday nights. Yes, because I teach on Monday and Wednesday. Right. But we owe you bonus episodes, so you, it'll actually be. Oh my god! You won't feel. Uh, it won't feel like you're. No, bonus episodes are coming. Yep. Yeah. Yes, yep. they are. But this is this is just to prevent the right. The, the main, about... the main, the flagship episodes will be recorded yes. Thursdays for the mm. for the semester. Yes. Hi, de ho, and welcome to the SS Eleven O'clock Comics. This is episode eight thirty five. Damn. Woo! And I'm Vince B. Arr. You are Vince B. Getting closer to 1,000. I am David A. Price. Oh, yes, you are. And I, of course, am Elmo Sputterspark, but you know me as Megavolt. Nice. (laughs) There is a light at the end of this tunnel. No, (laughs) you are not Megavolt. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Together on this, the Book of the Month episode, brought to you by our Butimus patrons. Yep. Patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, one one, no apostrophe, audio, video, images, downloads. Uh, you get a chance to weigh in on the book of the month and participate 24 7 in the dedicated Slack channel. It is all gold, it's all fun, and it's just a huge honking family that make this mud ball um, worth it. So check it out. Patreon.com slash 11 o'clock comics before we get into the uh the banter and the drink roll call i gotta tell you mm. i i've i have a little bit of inside information oh yep um how high would you jump if i told you that two awesome universes are going to be colliding very soon well, this is a loaded question because, uh, first of all, it would entirely depend on which universes. And okay. oftentimes, while I, I, I think there's plenty of overlap in our circles of joy, there's plenty of of, out, of non-overlap, too. So uh, i, I got to hear are, which universes. Are yeah, we talking I, about crossovers with publishers or crossovers from one publisher within different fran- and, and all right, crossovers all right. franchises? Stop talking. What if I told you, what if I told you that you would be able to buy a product featuring both Kankor and Sabretooth Swordsman? Oh, now that is a, that is a, is a, is a team up of epic all-time proportions. Yes. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes. Um, our good buddy, Matthew Allison and big time boo, Aaron Conley are joining forces to illustrate the sleeve for a brand spanking new seven inch vinyl single. Yes. The vinyl single is a 45 RPM. It contains two tracks per side by Jack the radio. So you got George Hagen company. Yes. So you got Cancor, Matthew Allison, Sabretooth Swordsman. Aaron Conley and Jack the Radio. And get this, 
there's comics involved because the sleeve for the comic for the for the the four the seven inch features comics done both by Conley and Allison and the damn thing folds out to a 13 by 13 poster what yep the crowdfunder that's crowd f-u-n-d-r is going to launch on January 30th and Matthew said to me I turned to him uh, in the bed and he said we're you know we're we're gonna do some fun stuff like stickers and a shirt and maybe they're gonna do some enamel pins so uh write it down uh january 30th crowdfunder matthew allison aaron conley jack the radio seven inch vinyl single but i've included a link in the episode thread on our website 11 o'clockcomics.com click on it it'll take you to youtube and you get a little bird's eye view of what's going on. I can't nice. wait. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm uh, I'm I'm a, a little bit bummed that the art is already is already spoken <laughs> for. But yeah. it's, listen, it, we can't front. If I mean, it's George's project. It's his band. So if yeah. he if he right. if the dude gets the art, I get it. Yes. That's the thing. If if I'm I'm I mean, obviously, I really didn't have a chance of getting any of the art. But if 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 us getting this collaboration means George has to have the art, I'm I'm fine with it. Right. Yeah, you're and dropping facts. Yep. Matthew sent a bunch of images uh, along with the uh, the email for this, and um, he also included a PDF of of all of the art. But I did not put that in the episode thread because that's not that's not cool. You don't get to see it. Go to the crowdfunder. But I right. did put a couple images of of the flip both sides of the seven inch. And um, a little peek at what the 13 by 13 poster is going to look like. All right. Not wait. Yep. Excellent. We, we love these people very oh, much. Sure. Yes. Sure. So there we go. What are we drinking? Well, what are you uh, drinking? I am drinking. Well, I, I just actually, while we were waiting for Dap's technical issues to abate, I finished mm-hmm. off my coffee. Uh, so. I now have here a bottle of Gatorade Zero and a can of uh, seltzer. Dap, you know what? I think he should go first anymore because more often than not, he's not drinking anything. It's, I yeah, I, I mean, more often than not, sure. There are the, there are those nice surprises. The past couple of weeks, we, we yeah, were I've had one a couple, wine. couple times recently. Yeah, he drank when Tana was here. Right, and last yeah. week for the last apostles. week I had one, yeah, yep. true. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good. I think you should go first. Fair enough. Because Why don't you tell us what you're drinking? I'm drinking a whole mess of Sam Adams Winter Lager. Oh, it's, you love that. Stuff. It's so festive and smooth, just like me. Yes, We're coming so. up on three years since I had a beer. It's crazy. Wow. I, I like I, the actual thought of like drinking beer freaks me out now. <laughs> like that's weird. Like just the, like I don't even think I'd like the taste anymore. Well, the thought of eating a gluten freaks you out too. So yeah, no, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. But but I'm yeah. So there you go. <laughs> it's good that you stick to your your principles. I like that. I'm I'm getting like you. I'm, there are things to which I'm sticking these days. Excellent. I, yes. that, that warms my heart. It, it really it, does. That news warms my heart. Yeah. That's, uh, tap what you're drinking. Uh, speaking of. I um, I had some. What the hell did I? Oh, I had some um, five points rye from Spirit Labs to get the chill 
out of the air. Um, and I just, I'm not feeling kind of bleh. But uh, now, I just, while you guys were uh, talking, I poured myself um, a little bit of the Basil Hayden Dark Rye. Uh, neat, no ice, just uh, just sitting here swimming around in this glass. Nice. I don't think Tana's ghost will ever leave the room. And I don't want it to. No. Yeah. It's got to be a regular thing. She just lit the F out of this place. And listen, and it obviously came across because we've seen a few comments where uh, she touched each of us at different moments of the episode and she brought the giddiness out and she had a great time. It sounded like so... Uh, far be yeah. it for me to call the listeners liars. Uh, right. If they what heard we need it. to do is get our boy Tone Loke back on soon so he doesn't yeah. fall well, That's what I was just going to say. I was gonna, we should stop talking about Tana because Tony's going to start crying again and texting. Oh, that that guy doing the book with Tim Seeley. <laughs> that, uh, that, that, yeah, that guy that got the cover <laughs> of the previews. That's awesome. I that was is so good. happy to see that. And, and some That's of those multiple, other, multiple dude, times in the last 12 did, months. Yeah, he did yeah. you see the, uh, the, the darker image? Uh, yes. Hom- homage that, uh, that, that they're offering for a local man? Yes. I am so happy he's doing this book, man. He is just he Dude, is these very covers are insane, though. Like, oh, they're not, so not, stupid. Like, like, it's, it's, I mean, not, not, I'm not throwing shade at, at, at Tony and Tim. That's the game. I'm saying, but, like, just in general, the, the amount of variant covers. Like, um, one of the books we all read, uh, I th- oh, actually, I didn't check if Dap read it, but Darkwing Duck, uh, like, I know Dynamite, like, the, the number, they, they show you all the, um, yeah. variants in the cut. Co- yeah. It's like, it's insane, dude. There's but, like, yeah, but the, the, year, the I, store variants, if you include store variants, a lot of these comics have like 40, 50 variants. Yes. Now. I need the year one cover. I need it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great cover. The, uh, um, dynamite is, I think, I mean, just going by the new releases list, we, we, we post every week and it, it, it dynamite seems to be, the, the the most egregious with the variants and 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 followed by the boomer and DC with their depending on what the event might be if it's somebody's twenty fifth issue or actually comics ten fifty it's like here's eighty three different covers and it, it it and and what sucks is when someone is trying to scan their books and and catalog them uh, if if it doesn't register. If the barcode doesn't register, then you have to scroll through pages to find your actual cover that that, that that's in your collection. But um, that actually does. I, I it's curious to me since you mentioned Darkwing Duck and Gargoyles was recently released that uh, that Disney, which basically has a publisher in the form of Marvel. Has and the same thing with with the Star Wars stuff with with IDW that they are published by other publishers and not like in house with Marvel and I I really I I can't is it I I don't know if Jason you can uh, talk about licensing or things like that but is it actually is it is it Disney's obviously make getting money getting paid for having another publisher put out their licensed products but it's not easier to have the company you own put out books. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's been, it's been discussed why they do it that way. I, I, 
I have no idea. Like I, I, I just I couldn't begin to tell you why they feel like it's worth it for those markets, like all ages and whatnot, to go to another no, another publisher. I, I don't. I have no idea why they would do it because it's not it, like it's. Not, I mean, it's not like Marvel is anti-licensed comics. I mean, as we talked about, the publisher at least we talked about the Alien. I think there are. I think I counted what almost twenty Star Wars comics this right. past month, which is, and I was shocked because I just can't imagine even if you're an ardent star wars fan having the budget time or interest in reading 20 star wars comics and so i'm always like i mean it's it's ridiculous enough that batman has that many comics or or spider-man like in although i understand that a bit more than than 20 licensed comics i mean dark horse never got that crazy and they got pretty crazy for a while so um it's not i mean like you said i mean between that and and alien and predator and i mean marvel probably puts out 30 to 40 licensed comics a month now. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, and it, it's the, other, mystery. the other part about it being dynamite is weird to me as well, because here's dynamite. It's an all ages book because it's Darkwing duck or it's gargoyles. But if, if someone walks into a shop and, and a kid, well, not a kid because anybody who was watching Darkwing duck when it was a cartoon is old enough is, is our age. But if, if, if a kid is, if a child, if a, if a youngster is walking into a shop and 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 God forbid the 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 comic shop has the books on display by publisher, kid's gonna go next to, for Darkwing Duck right next to one of the variants by you know Art Germ of 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 Dejathoris or Vampirell, and it's like here's Darkwing Duck and it's a cartoon right next to this buxom scantily clad. It, it, it's that's a whole other thing, but it's just of all the publishers, it's weird for me. I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. it's broadsword, but it's still one of those <laughs> things where it's like that's that, that going to dynamite just seems weird to me. I think we even if peak, go, no, go ahead. You know, even if they do go into that comic shop, they should run out screaming if that publisher arranges. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> by, yeah, by by, by uh, alphabetically by publisher like. <laughs> That's mad. Crazy. Get the hell out of that store. Too um, sweet. <laughs> I was going to say we've reached peak variant cover though because oh yeah 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 i got a kickstarter notice this week which i'm not backing but i i got a kickstarter notice for the dueling dealers of comic art 100th episode variants um you know the dueling dealers is that show on calf you know between yeah. uh right well apparently their 100th episode is coming up and so dynamite is doing a vampirella versus red sonia number one trio of variant covers featuring bill cox of comic art fans fame and the and anthony and ramita man um <laughs> covers so that's awesome yeah hey listen it no, is, i mean if you can get it right yeah. it, it, it was a 500 dollars campaign goal they're already at 2500 you know more power to them good for them and, and to be fair nick barucci who of course is the owner and and uh, editor-in-chief of dynamite is their most ardent fan. If you've ever attended one of, I, I think I'm the only one of the three of us that has, but if you, I know a lot of our listeners have, if you've ever attended a comic art live uh, YouTube session, uh, Barucci is 99.9% of the time not only participating in the chat, but he is begging people to hit the like button and bidding on all measure of pretty crappy art that he seems to be willing to buy. Um, so he is very much their uh, their number one fan. So it, it's 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 all fitting. But I just was like, my God, like, I, I mean, like, really? I mean, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, leave a comment. Thanks. <laughs> Smash that like. Twenty five hundred bucks is probably enough to get Art Germ to draw a boob. 
These are yeah. not drawn by Art Germ, I assure you. Oh, okay. No, uh, I don't even know who they're drawn by. I might, let me see. I don't even know if it says. Oh, well, we don't. I don't really need to know. It's fine. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it it doesn't say who they're drawn by, so that's probably not a good sign. It should be Diodato if they're going for likenesses. <laughs> they're like caricatures. <laughs> uh, it doesn't. <laughs> I didn't it's know just, Sawyer was on that show. <laughs> but that's LaRocca. Oh, yeah, yeah LaRocca. Yeah. yeah, Jesus Christ. Sawyer, <laughs> Bruce Willis. Uh, it's kind of crazy that covers featuring a show by art dealers about original art wouldn't list the artist of the covers of their <laughs> Yeah. TBA does a lot of work, especially for IDW. I love it, right? Yeah. yeah. IDW wow. employs TBA a lot. Yeah, that's funny. What currency is PI? <laughs> yes. Uh, All right, let's get on with this. We we have <laughs> this. Are we trying to avoid the book of the month? Oh, uh, no, on. Jason's not. But so, <laughs> um, we definitely rolled a one on this one. It is. <laughs> oh my god, dude! The book... I told Vince when you were coming back on. You gotta be careful here. This is like this is hallowed ground for a lot of people listening to this episode. Like oh. this is. I love to be transgressive, so whatevs. Uh, Our book of the month for this month is actually books of the month. Is uh, The Adventures of Tintin uh, being in the land of the Soviets and the Calculus Affair by the uh, renowned writer-artist Hergé. George Rennie. Yes. And uh, we read them. We did. (laughs) <laughs> we did we did did we did well let's set it up i mean because listen the, the the impetus for this was that uh and by the way i think is it, it for the first time maybe ever certainly in a long time but i think ever i don't need to ask when the first time you you read this was because i'm pretty sure for all of us it was for this right this is definitely the first i i have read some tintin in the past uh i cannot tell you what book it was I right. can't. T- I can't tell you what it was mm-hmm. about. So, um, for right. all for all, well, intense- the imagery is iconic, right? When you think, like, if you're a comic fan and you hear the name Tintin, you can picture Tintin the character. You can, sure, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Snowy, the whole nine yards. Um, but yeah, for the, the sake of the eleven o'clock, when did you read it, Jason? Game uh, two days ago. Was yeah, when I read it. Well, that was same for me and for you too, Dad. Yeah, yeah. Since yeah. Uh, since last weekend, yeah, yeah. And the impetus, I mean, listen, I'll take the L on this one. It was my recommendation that we do this. But it just occurred to me that when I think of all of the people that are considered the important historical fathers of comics around the world, we've either done a lot of discussion or at least touched on all of them, right? And not just U.S. I mean, you know, we've done, you know, we've we've done plenty on on Mobius and Tezuka, and like we, you know, we've we've covered most of them, right? I mean, we really have at least. At some point over all these years, t- talked about uh, about them in some way, shape, or form. But I think Hergé, at least to my mind, was the most significant from a historical perspective comic book creator that we've never really discussed. So I figured, well, why not? Like, yep. let's you know, like, and and it and look, I mean, uh, we don't want to bury the lead, but I think it's safe to say this was uh, not our collective favorite endeavor. <laughs> Um, but I also think that, and I, you know, for me, 
uh, every book of the month is a different experience. And while I'll readily admit that the work itself didn't connect with me in the way that I had hoped, uh, I did take the opportunity, since this is our first and maybe only time discussing Hergé uh, in any great length, of trying to understand him and his career and I do feel that uh, I do feel better for that because I, I now fully, I think, understand how significant he is, how beloved he is, how successful he was. Um, you know, he definitely was like the Kirkman of his era. Like he was a massive success. And, uh, you know, I'm about them ducats. At one point, he was getting paid. He was upset because they had... Uh, and I'm kind of just jumping to a midpoint of his career to make this point. He he had a a, a mentor who was the editor of the paper that he first worked in, uh, Norbert Wallé. And uh, Norbert, like any any good any any good uh, important Catholic uh, uh, person, got into a a, uh, a a scandal and had to be removed from his job. And uh, and Erge was pissed because it was his mentor, and so they he wanted to leave, and so they gave him a big raise. They were paying him. 3,000 francs a month. So 36,000 francs a year. Now, to put that in context, this was in the early 1930s. Right. So that would be roughly equivalent to about $700,000 a year now. So my dude was getting paid like movie star money to make this comic. So like, and again, like, you know, money is not necessarily quality, but for back then, I mean, that was insane money like that. Like nobody got paid that. So it shows you because because business is business. If they were willing to pay Hergé 36,000 francs to keep making Tintin, you can only imagine what the publishers were making off of it. Right. So it's just interesting. Like, dude was a massive success. It wasn't just like his work wasn't just something that over time became beloved and historical and like oh he was important like no no like he was mega popular as a creator like mega popular you know as popular as as one piece is now he was that popular in europe i was um leading up to tonight i um i was checking out the uh, the documentary uh urge in the shadow of tintin um which is not quite an hour long um basically telling of how this this man was kind of just shadowed shadowed by his creation and um and it it there were it it was it was interesting to read especially tinted in america and then watch this documentary um because again we're very far removed from the the origins of of this work it's almost 100 years old in some cases but uh we, we sometimes we we either we we project what the creator may be thinking or feeling or, or or writing about when when we when we see the work when in actuality a lot of the things that might be cringeworthy as as we come across in these two volumes um may have actually been like editorially mandated so the some of the opinions may not actually be of the writer and artist himself it, it yeah. may have been um pushed in that direction and and he even admits that um in some of the interviews that i was listening to um 
he was he was ignorant of what was going on elsewhere. I mean, there's there are a couple stories where the, the, well, the we didn't read this one for 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 tonight, but the one where uh, you know he he goes to space. The big bad is basically uh, someone of the Jewish persuasion, and uh, it was right around uh, as as Hitler was coming into power and 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 doing away with those he didn't care for. So um, obviously, in in hindsight, were that with what was going on in the world, uh, Hergé probably would have changed things up a bit. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where he's kind of just, it, it, it appears as though he was kind of isolated or in a bubble and not really, uh, cognizant of what was going on in the world, uh, when he was telling some of these stories and whether they were just, you know, little quick hit jokey jokes and, and just to kind of put, Tintin and Snowy in these situations, uh, just for a laugh at the end of the page. Um, it's it 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 is interesting. It, it, it's a lot. I'm I I'm thinking about the work now after reading the two stories, after watching the bulk of this documentary. Um, I it it did kind of um, it didn't it didn't change my mind of of the work itself, what we see on the page, but. I, I did understand the uh, the artist a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, I mean, he was born in 1907, so you know, we, this is literally. I mean, he was born 115 years ago, so I do think that context is important, particularly in discussing him. And now, right? I mean, he's been dead for uh, for 30, 40, 40 years. He's been dead um, because, yeah. I mean, you know, I think, and I, I always sort of. I'm always nervous when we get go into these waters because I'm always mindful of the fact that we're three, you know, middle-aged white dudes in America living a privileged life. So it's like far be it for us. But yes, I think your point you made is important in the, sen- in the sense that like there's a lot of narrative out there now about him and was he racist? Was he anti-Semitic? Was he a Nazi supporter? Um, you know, and one of the things, and I like I knew these things about him, but then what struck me about those things you hear about him is that it's not like that viewpoint is wildly held because he's beloved in Europe still like absolutely beloved in fact our good friend Tony Esmond uh, was or maybe still is but I know this week he's at Angoulême which of course is the huge French comics and art festival every year and and, uh, you know arguably probably no not even inarguably the, the biggest you know the biggest deal of comics in Europe each year um and Tony knew we were talking about Hergé, and so he, I don't know if he did it to you guys too, but he sent me a bunch of pics of Hergé all around Angoulême, like like of different displays of his, of, of his of his of his work and his art, and there's a statue of him. Like he is beloved still to this day uh, by your by, by European mm-hmm. uh, readers. So like if if he was widely considered to be, you know, racist and bigoted, and that that wouldn't be the case, right? He'd be canceled. Um, so like I was fascinated by that cause I'm like, ah, oh, so, you know, I, and, and I, I came away the same way you did. I didn't watch the documentary, but I, and I've, I've read a couple essays about his work and, you know, about him as a person. And I came away with the conclusion that, uh, that he was a man of the time. He was a white wealthy. Well, he was, wasn't born wealthy, but he was in his early twenties became extremely wealthy. He was a white, wealthy, privileged Catholic dude living a completely sheltered and privileged life. And so I'm not excusing like 
the stuff that that didn't age well. I mean, there's no you know, obviously it's it, it there's a reason why we look at it now and we cringe. But much like when we talked about Will Eisner and stuff, like you do need to have some concept of the context, right, of the time. Like, like I do think that is important. If you're going to be, if, if this man has been dead for 40 years, if we're going to try and editorialize or 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 prognosticate about what kind of a person he was or what his beliefs are, you have to have the the intellectual curiosity and maturity to think about the time with which this person lived. Right. Like it's it, like it's it that, that is not excusing any kind of behavior you make. But it's like the world was different then. And so um, it is I just think it's disingenuous to suggest that things that someone may have done, done you know, that did back then is exactly analogous to what would happen if they did it now. Right. I mean, um, I, I just don't think it's I think it's just intellectually dishonest to not accept that there is a difference. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That's the closest thing we have on the show to a minority, my Jewish friend. Uh, I'm glad that you. Uh, I'm glad that you're the one that, that first broached that subject. So, uh, yeah. I mean, he was arrested for. Uh, to, uh, he was arrested to be and accused of being a Nazi conspirator. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's so. I mean, it, you know, again, these, this is not like completely unfounded, but this was a thing where uh, he he wrote for a paper that. Uh, called Le Soir, which which was a Nazi controlled paper, and a lot of people left the paper. But he he was making a killing, and he opted. And you could criticize him for that, but he and I think to your point, I think later in his life he says he deeply regrets that. But but he stayed around because they were paying him a lot to keep making the, his comic. And so when when World War II ended and Belgium was freed, uh, liberated. Um, they arrested sixty thousand people that they viewed as being Nazi conspirators, and he was all, he was one of them. And he was blacklisted for a year, and then had another year of of effectively legal battles, and was ultimately cleared and allowed to work again, and and had essentially his record expunged. And um, you know, so like, but but some people, understandably, particularly if you're if you were uh, family had lineage during World War II, particularly if you're of, of, of Jewish descent, I understand if if you're uh, you know if you're if you're Jewish and you don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like I get that. Like you're that that's absolutely right. Like shit. I mean, who am I to say that you can't have heart, like not have an interest in knowing this guy's work? Like that's that's totally fine. Like that viewpoint is 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 certainly fine too. But but I mean, I just again, I think it's interesting that that uh, the the judge who ultimately ruled about his case and i thought this quote was great said uh erge is guilty of being a blunderer rather than a traitor meaning like he was just an idiot like he yeah. he was a dope you know he wasn't he wasn't eyes wide open and and shame on him for that so yeah complex dude like super complex dude as i guess a lot of people that are successful are and he, he was uh it it also it it's the character just the 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 need or people's want of or even the publisher of of wanting more more Tintin, um, it definitely got to him. He 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 left and he was he just he he wanted to do something else and uh, eventually um, he had a whole studio and and he was happy about that because he had other other artists there to do backgrounds to do colors and and he was able to just focus on basically 
drawing the character that he wants to draw and tell tell these stories that he wanted to tell. So he it's at least a you know if, if you're going to if you're kind of forced into a situation and and you're able to make it work, uh, you're able to make you know lemonade out of the lemons life's given you, then um, more power to you. And I know I still haven't. It's it's on my watch list. It's been on my watch list since pretty much it was released. But there's that 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 computer animated Tintin movie that that came out of the few years ago that uh that i'm still curious to see um i i think the character i i it's we'll get into it when we talk about the stories but it, it it's it's weird to see that you know here's this here's this essentially boy the boy reporter um kind of just taking on the world it it is it, it's portrayed as somebody who would be at least dozens of years older than he actually is it's it, it it's crazy and it took off and i just I really do like um, the art style. I like the way it looks, um, even if the stories might just seem odd because of of how many decades we are removed from uh, the topics of of what transpires in in the stories. I mean, I never saw the Spielberg movie. Did you? No. Because that was like one of his... That's not animated. That's... uh... That's oh, okay. Lot. That's a lot. Okay. No, that I, I haven't. It came out in tw- uh, 2011, and it was a big deal because it was Sp- Spielberg was always a huge Tintin fan, and he directed the movie. But it was um, co-written by Spielberg, Stephen Moffat, Ed- and Edgar Wright. Oh shit! And Peter Jackson produced it. It was like it was like the who's who of because wow. they all, they all love Tintin so much, so they made this massive movie. It was it was this massive, and it was a humongous flop. Um. I guess it wasn't a huge flop. I mean, like in the sense that it, it did over four hundred million in the, but it didn't make a ton of money because it cost a ton to make. But yeah, so um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to to see the film. I had no interest when it came out because I just didn't know anything about Tintin. Um, yeah, so uh, but yeah, I mean, and 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 the the two volumes that we did. So there are twenty four volumes, and 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 the, it's important to make a distinction here. We talk about these volumes. Um, the majority of Tintin was serialized in comic strip form in newspapers and, and then eventually its own magazine. But when we talk about volumes, they were very early on one of the earliest in taking these collections and putting them out in book form. And you've heard us audience, you've heard us say the term bond many times, and that's become a catch all for European comics in general. It's usually for Franco Belgian comics, but uh, this is really, the, I mean, he, he and his, like, it's his, he's the impetus for this. Like, like the popularity of Tintin, um, the popularity of Tintin is, is based, you know, is, is, uh, was the progenitor for the very concept of Bond Destiné. Um, and, you know, that, that is, uh, I think that's a, an important distinction too, because again, this was a strip, but most people that have read it, read it in these, in the form that we did in collections and collections. Um, because it was serialized, and then they would take the serialization, which would sometimes run for a couple of years, and then turn it into a book. Um, so, yeah, and the ones we picked, Tintin, the Land of the Soviets, and Calculus Affair, were with some purpose. But the, fir- the Land of the Soviets is important because it's the first volume. It's it's the OG. It's it's it is Tintin at its original form, uh, and then the Calculus Affair, which is volume eighteen, is considered. Um, by most fans of Hergé to be his best work, uh, to be the, the the peak of of Tintin, and so we kind of figured we would we would try the you know the, see the beginnings and then read what most consider to be the best, which gets us to Vince's point of 
if 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 the calculus affair was his best, yeah, I'm probably not like clamoring to read more Tintin. Exactly, right, right. I don't think the work is without merit. I mean, oh, of course not. The, it it does have um, redeeming qualities for me, mostly in the art. Sure. Um, yep. I think the rawness of the first volume is is at times um, pretty breathtaking. I, I like the the scratchiness and just, if if he was an untrained artist and just running on pure enthusiasm and produced that kind of work um, in the first volume, like yow, uh, you got all my respect. But um, I prefer, you know, I'm going to say this. I prefer the rawness of the first volume to the polished. Um, work in the 18th volume but this i mean it has to be said that the visuals are superb all the way around yeah it's it's in the narrative where i'm just like nothing in either story moved me to seek out any kind of information on the the creator or like you covered your bases adapted i didn't find anything within the work that compelled me to just want to know who this person was um well the the life and times of you know whatever the fact that the work didn't hit me in any particular way is what led me to then saying well wait a minute why is this a hundred years later still beloved still by modern european not just european but 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 like so beloved and i was like because i don't like I wasn't this wasn't to me Windsor McKay. This wasn't Prince Valiant. Like I'm like, uh, okay, so what like why? And so that's what got me into learning about the man. I'm like, right. okay, because like there's a dis- there was a disconnect here to me as a fan of I was like, I don't like this is not what I was expecting. Like I don't It it's, it's you know. to, to me it certainly does not have the charm of, say, uh Carl Barks. Or sure. you know, and, and the 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 um but, but like, is it any different than like, say, like Richie Rich? It reminded me of Richie Rich, honestly. But like, I, Richie Rich isn't held in the same regard that Tintin is, and not even in the same stratosphere. So, uh, no. Um, I I mean, the the event, the the modus operandi of of Hergé and Barks are very close. I mean, there's a lot of globe trotting involved in the stories. There's a lot of history, a lot of uh, geography. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you you definitely learn uh, things about the the geographic locations in which uh, Tintin is is adventuring, and that you could say that about you know uh, Bark stuff with with Donald and the boys and and Scrooge. Like you you do learn. Um, they were they were both uh, from. I mean, at least I know about Barks. They are both very very immersed and interested in history. Uh, but one produced to me anyway. One produced the work with um, that had me fascinated and, and eager to know more. And the other one was almost detached and matter of fact and just silly. Uh, and that was the Hergé. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it, yeah, I, I don't. I know there's people that love this. Um, do I care? Not so much. <laughs> no, I, I have. I have to be totally honest. Like the fact that this work sure. is is beloved by many people doesn't really register with me. Uh, that that's not the point. The the point is, can I, being a uh, an objective. Um, viewer into this stuff uh what did the experience 
leave me with, other mm-hmm. than the fact that Hergé was a pretty solid draftsman, uh, very little. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, yeah, just, just being very honest, you know. Right, and we, uh, I mean, I, I guess again, we're kind of jumping around, but like the premise here is that Tintin is a young uh, investigative reporter. He's a, a a roving reporter, right? And he and his dog are basically go on adventures, and then eventually they get up uh, as with anything that's going to run 30 40 years in serialization they they gain other supporting characters so by the time we get the calculus affair a lot of the people in that book are long-standing recurring characters like hammond and 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 calculus and stuff right. but 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 it, but at the heart of it the the, the titular tintin is a young a, a young roving journalist and he's like an you know an adventure journalist they send him all across the world to cover stories and right. um and so like the premise is cool you know, I mean, like, like that premise is cool. It, um, but initially, he's almost superhuman. Yeah, and so it's funny that you mentioned lucky. the you mentioned the first issue, and I, you know, knowing your taste, it's not surprising that that you found that to be more interesting because, um, so like that was made when he was twenty two, and he drew the whole thing himself. Um, eventually, after the first few volumes in the popularity, he gets a team. They get they get him assistance and stuff. But over over time, because of the popularity stuff, he gets uh, he not he not only goes around to um, to coloring all of the work, uh, but he he redraws quite a bit of it over the years as well. Um, but he never allowed the first volume to be uh, to be colored. Good. And, and he actually said many times that he was embarrassed by the first volume, nah. that he was embarrassed about about the, the look and, and how raw, raw it was. So it's that, interesting. That, it that's was like what, what attracted me. Most. The rawness right. of yeah, it attracted right. me, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. And, and, and you look at the events of the first volume, um, he's he's blown up in a train car. He, yeah. he, he drives a car into a locomotive and survives. Yeah. Like, he has a fight with a bear at one point. Yeah, it's just yeah, like, yeah. this is a young man with a talking dog who mm-hmm. seemingly cannot be brought down by anything. Um, yeah. A soldier with a gun picks a fight with him and Tintin just beats the shit out of him. It's just like, yeah. okay, what? He was like Indiana Jones without the swag. And, uh, yeah, okay, I mean, maybe it's the, the hair. Uh, but <laughs> I, I thought the indestructibility of the character was kind of quaint. It was kind of cute. You know, here I am driving along with my dog. Oh, it's a train track. Fuck it. I'm just going to drive right into the locomotive. Smash. And he gets thrown. I mean, it's, it's not like in volume 18, the dude's, dude's not getting get, getting away with a lot of stuff, too. I mean, it, he, gets, he gets blown up in that issue. Yeah, it's just. So it's, he, he has to escape multiple multiple captivities and as being a prisoner in a foreign land with with people pointing guns at him and right he, he, his pl- he crashes a plane and then macgyver rebuilds another propeller <laughs> oh that's like, the we, thing too like he'll just build something out of any yeah. like he finds a bunch of spare parts well i'm just gonna bring my he's build, like macgyver yeah right build myself a little go-kart and yeah you know me and snowy are gonna have some some fun the tracks are broken screw it i'll fix the damn tracks while i'm at it too like yeah. it's unbelievable so, so Tintin in the Land of the Soviets, the first volume was uh, originally was started started in January of 1929. Oof. Uh, so, I mean, and you know, so again, this is this is post World War One, pre World War Two, um, and it was. It's important to note too because he, um, the original poem for Tintin was a um, a, a Belgian newspaper uh, called Vatiam Sec. 
uh, and it was basically it well not basically it was a Catholic newspaper, uh, and 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 with everything that came of being I mean Catholic in 1920 was was much different than like my wife who's Catholic in 2023 like this was super like super like restrictively conservative like like newspaper you know like like you know like this was like very like super super religiously restrictive and so that's where tintin was born and erge was born catholic and uh you know he didn't oh but when he died he was an agnostic but he was catholic at this time and um and as i mentioned his the editor of the paper um was basically a father figure for him and uh and, and as a result of that um his early work was tinged in that vein and the first three volumes land of the Soviets, Tintin in the Congo, um, which I believe is called Tintin goes to Africa originally. Uh, and then Tintin in America, which staff mentioned, those are the first three volumes of Tintin. Those were with like, they were not just like it toned that way. They were designed and authored with the purpose of being conservative propaganda for young European readers. Like they were meant to be political propaganda to indoctrinate young Franco-Belgian kids into believing the conservative viewpoints that this Catholic paper held. So like they not only like didn't age well because they were politically biased, like they were designed that way. Like they were designed to be incredibly uh, satirical and um, xenophobic. Yeah. Xenophobic in the first, the first volume was basically a, well, not basically it was a parody of how, dumb and ineffective and uh godless criminal and 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 mis and dishonest and in and 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 uh evil um communism was soviet communism right like yep. it was i mean there's this there's a scene where they're they're uh in the, they're taking bales of hay and burning them inside <laughs> of an fa- empty factory because they want to trick americans into thinking their factories are working. i love that scene some guys yeah. are banging on some metal it's like oh they must yeah. be and and snowy says it must be a russian jazz band uh, yeah, this, such a thing does not exist, Snowy. <laughs> At least not back then. So yeah. yeah, but where it gets interesting to me, and we didn't read this stuff at least for the show, is like Erge did evolve. I mean, he yeah. he even this even though those volumes were really popular, like even back then, he he had people telling him like, you really don't know what these places are like, <laughs> like they're, like they're not like this, and. He met a guy named Zhang Shongren, a Chinese, not an expat, but he was of Chinese descent, but he was in Europe, and they became like besties. And and Shongren was is like was crucial to everything. He he taught Hergé how to draw. He taught him about three D perspective and using reference and uh, life drawing, and basically made Hergé a, a much more refined cartoonist. And also because of the friendship. Sean Graham was like, you got to really like, if you're going to write these kinds of stories, you need to do research. You need to visit these places. You need to talk to, and, and from that point on. And so for the bulk of Tintin, which would include volume 18, but, but from, from the blue Lotus, which I think was volume five or six on, he is like historians consider Hergé's work to be infinitely better in the sense that he took great pains to try and portray things accurately after that. Like he researched the places he made sure that references to clothing and culture and verbiage and slang and food were all legitimate to the place. That it in, wasn't in just other words, stereotype. Bark, Barksian, yes. 
Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. Um, so, but I think that's, you know, so this first volume is not that. <laughs> this first volume is no, pure no, it's satirical, not. you know, um, but, uh, likely inaccurate in many ways, just, just, you know, anti Yeah, it's, it's, it's character assassination is yeah, what it is. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. let's yeah. just skewer these, these godless Russians. But there, there, there's one, um, sequence that, that really had, you know, perked up my ears and my eyes. That um, the when he goes to the hotel and um, Hergé uses the 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 grace the dot pattern screen where the guys are at the door and uh, then Tintin puts the 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 sheet on pretends he's a ghost. That sequence is very comparable to manga being produced at the same time. Nice. If you look at that that OG manga. Um, uh, you know, you could, you could say Hokusai, but uh, in, in in this, and I'm sure there wasn't any cross pollination. Like he didn't see it. I'd be very surprised if if RJ er, did see manga from this period. But it's just there's a synchronicity to this that it looks very very similar to mm-hmm. the, what the Japanese were doing at the same time, which is amazing to me. I I love this section. I think it's a great little sequence. It's silly as hell, uh, mm-hmm. but so what? Yeah. Were you as uh, what was your take on the first volume, Dap? In terms of the art, like I mean, because you mentioned you like the art in the volume eighteen, and I'm with you. I think it looks great. But th- I mean, did you find it? Like I found it ch- charming in the sense that I knew it was when he was twenty two and it was the first. So like I wasn't. I was like, oh, it's amazing how much he grew over the years. I guess that's part of the course. But did did you find it like? appealing in any way the visuals the first line yes i the the um i like i i really do um like his line and and again it was it, that that's something else that was um discussed in 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 the um the line weight how it's pretty much all just the same it's um, super uniform. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what they were talking about. And, yeah, and, um, it's it, it's um, well, not convenient, but it 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 makes sense that that would be um, seeing it from there and and, and until the later volume we've read, um, seeing that growth, and and again, then then going back and. Um, finding out a little bit more about, about his life and how he got from A to B. Um, I, yeah, I don't, um, I, I really do. Um, it, it's, it's reminds me to, you know, like, like Jules Pfeiffer, there's, there's just, there's, there's things here that, um, as, um, well, raw as, as been said, or, or even awkward in some spots. I, I, I did, I like seeing where he came from. I, I was not um, the the art didn't did put me off. Um, yeah, in any way at all. Well, Spiegelman loves this shit, right? Um, yeah, but it, it's interesting to me that you could see traces of the Art Deco movement in his work. Right. Um, not so much in the in in the actual line work, but in the composition mm-hmm. and, and the the design of of the. Uh, the panels, but um, and the pages, but I, I love this 
it's not a clean line. It's like it's almost as if he's drawing with whatever tool he had on hand. Yeah, yeah. Which to me, like that's a matter of fact, direct approach that I really admire. If you mm-hmm. can get this kind of work out of just picking up a, a ballpoint pen, which this you know could have been, uh, it probably not, but because uh, I don't think there were microns in the twenties. Um, right. But similar, it is a very uniform. Uh, static line uh, i yeah he was obsessed with with line like he he like i said they started coloring his stuff uh in 1942 they the the, the, the they started actually producing the original stuff in color because they went back and recolored the stuff came before that but but he he had a a, a fit at the time because he didn't want to and then they convinced him to do it and he said that he would allow for it but he would allow no shading and that the color always had to be secondary to his line like it could never be so, you know, I mean, he was, he definitely like was all about that clean, crispy line. Like that yeah. was his thing. So. The uh, depiction of the Chinese in the first volume is racist as fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. But like, but, that's why I wanted to mention, but like, that's my point. Like, to, like, again, like he was a complex dude. Cause like, of course that, and, and the, the, the depiction of, 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 of Africans in the Congo is ridiculous. Yeah. It looks like yeah. pure blackface. It looks ridiculous. But, but like. But his best friend ever was, was was Chinese, right? And like he he and he and he once he met Zhang, like he realized like oh I like this is not like a start like I need I, like there's a, a people right. here and a culture and a rich history and like and the same thing I mean he was a outspoken um, uh, critic of of racism in America like he 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 hated like how racist we are as a country right. so like again like the dude was not like. You know, that's I, why, I, so I, like, I came away thinking like he was a complex dude, as as most people are. Like, he wasn't, he, by all accounts, he was a horrible boss, horrendous boss. You know, just total asshole. Wouldn't give his his team any credit, even though for a lot of his career, he pretty much worked in a, a manga studio form where his name was on it. But lots of people contributed to the page. In fact, once they started the Hair J Studio part of the career, like the last part of the Tintin run, um, multiple people would draw each panel rough out each panel and he would pick the one he liked the best and ink over it uh so well, like i mean that that's part and parcel of, of the way it worked in america too yeah like oh, the, the, you know eisner and the eiger uh, studio they yeah, 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 they yeah just, right. but yeah. i'm saying but 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 in retrospect i mean he he would never give them credit he would never acknowledge that they were a part like it was his work in his mm-hmm. view and he wanted all the credit it doesn't so, like, make he was it... a bad boss right and right like, and and he was by all accounts not the greatest husband <laughs> um you know, um, he actually married the first time he got married. He he was basically forced to marry her because she was uh, she was Wale's the editor of the paper's uh, secretary, and um, Wale was appalled that that two people at his paper would both be in their twenties and not be married. And so, effectively, he said to Erge, "Like you should marry her." Yeah, it's ridiculous. And so they and so they got married, um, but it didn't end well. They got divorced. And you know, which again, this is the twenty, well, this is the thirties, nineteen thirties. So divorce wasn't exactly no, because just, you were Catholic. That's a scarlet not, letter in the thirties. Yeah, this was yeah. not like in today's age where divorce is like you, your friend tells you get divorced, like oh my bad, get back out there with them apps, you know? <laughs> like this was a big deal. <laughs> this, this was a big deal. <laughs> Those uh, them apps. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like this was a big deal. I mean, again, oh, this sure. is like, yeah. it's important to frame it. Like a hundred years ago, getting divorced was like scandalous. This was yeah. something you just didn't do. So um, yeah, I mean, like like he wasn't by any means perfect but he was also very intellectual and you know he went from being a devout catholic to being a taoist to then like i said he died an agnostic and um and i'm not 
saying like being agnostic is small. I'm just saying like his, he had a journey, right? Like he, he, and maybe that's one of the things I connected with him about because, you know, um, I mean, joking aside, you know, I, like I do have empathy for the idea of like being born into a certain class of like white privilege and not realizing it. And like, and like, I wish everybody could wake up to it and, and broaden and expand and evolve their viewpoints. But I, as someone who very easily could have been stuck in that mindset, cause that's how I was born. You know, I was born into that mindset. Like it, like it, it I do, that is something I can identify with, with people of, uh, you know, of, of certain, like I, you know, again, I was never to his extreme cause I was, I was born in the 70s, 1970s, but, but, you know, again, I was born into a family that was largely pro-military republic, pro, you know, for, unabashedly republic you know what i mean like and 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 i i had a journey that got me away from a lot of those views but like i know because i lived it that like a lot of the people that had those views weren't evil people right they just it's just their worldview they didn't have really and if you weren't ever pulled out of it or given experiences that let you see beyond it it's just the worldview you had you know and and so i i do have empathy for people that like especially in his 20s if he really I, i could see him just being ignorant to the fact that some of the choices he was making weren't ideal and it does seem like he genuinely, as time went on, realized the error of his ways, you know, and he was super anti-capitalist. Like, to be clear, I mean, he wasn't like a Nazi sympathizer, but he was very much pro, like proletariat, pro-revolution. He was he was very he was a big fan of, of the idea of, of communism, um, like as it, when he was young. I mean, he really thought capitalism was evil and uh, ironic because he ended up making a boatload of money. So, I, you know, it's. Sounds like my son, like capitalism. I was just gonna say, mind, Colin would probably love him. Yeah, you don't mind. Yeah, but you don't mind living in a fat crib, though. So it's like, you know, right? It's like, a fat we crib. Stuff protest too much, but uh, yeah. yeah. So I, you so know, I, in terms of the narrative in in the first book, I thought there was a lot of uh, Deus Ex Machina shit going on, where oh, yeah. there were there were things placed within the narrative to get Tintin out of these precarious situations. Sure, like, sure. like, oh, look. A, a, a diving suit, like just conveniently discarded, in but this. That's the nature of comic strips, and uh, is it though? No, I, I, yeah, it, it is. no, but it is. But I think the writing was um, somewhat weak, and and very much uh, decipherable as the work of a young person. Right. Sure, but I mean, we've covered this basis before. I mean, the ultimate nullifier, right? I mean, it was created by two guys in their forties. I mean, so it's like you know, you, what's wrong you're with telling the stories ultimate of, nullifier? Serialized stories of recurring characters. You you, you do what you got to do to move the story along and solve it and move on to something else. Oh, back this up a little bit. Do you not like the ultimate nullifier? Sure, but there's irony there because the ultimate nullifier is by definition a Deus ex machina. It, it it is it is the right. Deus Ex so Machina saying, like, like like that one's sacred to us so it's like oh it's badass it's like I'm just saying like Deus Ex Machina but, but in a serialized story is not unusual but you don't know if they were doing it in a satirical way they're like yeah let's milk the hell out of this oh, like okay. you don't know I don't I'm not how I, and I say I they meaning Kirby's ideas right I say I'm, they meaning probably Jack that he just but you know from Jack's own I mean Jack a lot of silly like, stuff. Yeah. Right, they 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 were they literally made it up on the fly too. I mean, they did not give a lot of thought. A lot of the stories but, that we hold as canon, they didn't give a ton of thought to. It was no, like, but oh, they had the, the experience we, 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 to know. Let's, let's let's do this. Okay, let's do this. Yeah, they but their their decisions were were leavened by experience. 
This is the product of a 22-year-old kid. Yeah, he's 22, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm giving him yeah. some leeway. I think it's sure. goofy and fun. You know, um, let's compare. I'd much rather the first volume than the more polished 18th. Like, that's just – to me, it's – I enjoy I, – I appreciate the skill, but I think there's a soulless quality to it. It's interesting because, um, you know, we were talking as we do about this as we were reading it and we hinted at the first volume we had gotten through. It was rough. Um, so for me, it was a different experience. And I guess that would be the tiebreaker. I I, 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 I thought that I was like, oh, man, I'm like, this is really of its time. And like, OK, what's the angle here? Like, I need to figure out what what's going to keep me interested in this. And uh, the the for me, the volume 18, I thought, OK, th- this is this. I understand why. It sold tens of millions of copies, and and why people find it beloved, and why they love the character. And it was, and again, I didn't. I, when I finished the, the Calculus Fair, I didn't come away thinking, "Oh, this is my jam." I can't wait to read more Tintin. But I did find the eight volume eighteen infinitely more, both visually and story wise, uh, engaging than the first volume personally. So I, I'm on the other side of that. And uh, you're wrong. That. <sighs> I think you're not gonna break my heart if you side with him. No, I. Well, I. I read the third volume, Tintin in America. I read volume eighteen. Wow, calculus you, affair. You traipsed beyond the, the 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 assignment. Well, originally I thought the assignment was three and eighteen. Oh, oh. I didn't know we were starting at number one because of how um, knowing what we had read behind that i uh, i can go through i'll go through the slack later but um making shit up i must be uh (laughs) that's all i do um the the third volume was rough it wasn't it it wasn't as rough as the first volume i i like i appreciate the first volume i i um only because i like seeing where things began I, I i i like the origin aspect of it i, I, I like knowing where we got from one again fr- from a to b and al capone's uh, in that right al capone is in the one for america yeah in the third yeah. one and and the third one is is just it's it's constantly um him just lucking into you know not getting run over by a train or um you know, snowy thankfully saving the day and and that's the thing in the first volume snowy is extremely chatty uh, he doesn't talk as much in in uh, the other two volumes that that I read, but um, the th- there's also natives in the third volume, and and of course it's a lot of you know catch them and how and 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 it uh, 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 cringy shit. But um, the third and and obviously. The third taking place in America, around some places that I'm, I'm familiar with, um, there's uh, there's some familiarity there. Not so much with the first volume. I'm I'm, I'm quite far removed from from Soviets from that time, so um, <laughs> I'm kind of just going by what the hell the story is, and and, and just taking it at face value in, in that regard. Um, and it is it's 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 silly. I don't dislike it. Do I? I if I were to rank them. Um, 
the the calculus affair feels like it went on too long. It, the, the, it's the whole talky thing as hell. Follow, way it's, too I mean, there are no some neat panels, that, like, like like when they're driving through the marketplace and 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 after, on the uh, on the tail of of the kidnappers and and um, Scoozy is is over here trying to get people through out, out of the streets. Um, there's a, the, there's the, a tank the, in it, so the drawings there's, are neat. There's that, yeah. 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 The, the, um, but yeah, uh, I feel like Hammond is a terrible character. I, I found it really annoying. Haddock, Haddock. I, I, I mean, Haddock. Haddock. Yeah, I found Haddock really annoying. I, I, did not. I can't Haddock. And he was <laughs> nice. He uh, and and that's and that's another thing is that he was able to. Uh, the introduction of Haddock was was to um, give readers somebody that uh, who, who went beyond what Tintin could do because Tintin wasn't he, he wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't you know he wasn't running around swearing brandishing weapons as often and and so they were able to do the whole kind of yin and yang thing with the two characters but uh yeah the whole, and 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 if i read one more fucking panel with with blistering barnacles i'm just i'm i'm really gonna scream but um i do think i it, it's weird i i kind of like the earlier stuff 18 is much more consumer friendly. I could see. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see why he became increasingly more popular because the work became more reader and consumer friendly. It became easier to decipher. There, there's an elegance to the 18th volume. Uh, but I, I think the, the, with the advancement of his drawing ability, he lost a little bit of mm-hmm. the, the soul I, from it. And let, the let the early clear. stuff I mean, feels I more underground. I, I, I like yeah, it. Oh, I definitely. That's true. I, but yeah. I will, I, again, I want to be clear. Like, while I think I appreciated volume 18, like I, I mean, I don't want, I mean, we got to keep it 100. I thought it was a slog. Like I, I right, like, yeah. again, I feel like I'm glad that we did this because Hergé was definitely someone I felt like I needed to un- know more of, just how important he is. But like, I'm good. I don't need to read yeah, anymore. Same. Hergé. I don't need to read anymore either. Um, he's definitely like. Would I put Hergé in the same category as, like, say, Milton Kniff or Jack Kirby or Carl Barks? Hell no. But I've only read two books, so. Well, I think what you mean is pers- like, like in terms of who you personally exactly. enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. because I mean, his, he certainly belongs in their company. In terms of his importance to the history of the medium, hmm. okay. Uh, well, that's an. I mean, I don't. That's not debatable, right? He is no, the most I'm not. I'm not European, debating it, but he's the um, most popular European comic creator of all time, and he's. I mean, and and not both both critically and commercially, right? Like, and he's the person that most European people uh, creators cite as as a great inspiration. And again, beyond like his own work, like he pretty much. Much like we talk about guys like Kurtzman and Eisner here, like he defined the to this day, which is creating Bond de which is the main way that comics are consumed in Europe to this day, a hundred years later. Yeah. So like he he is he was the first one that brought colorization to the process, the first one that brought you know again in in book form, like so wildly incredibly important as a part of comics history, but as a like someone who I'm a like. Do I want to go back and read more of it so that I can? No, I I, I wouldn't put him well along said. the lines of the people yes. you mentioned. Yeah, well yeah. said, well said. Yeah. All right. Uh, any closing thoughts? We're gonna move on. <laughs> um. No, I mean, well, I would. We do have a lot of of you know European, particularly uh, you know English and Scottish and Irish friends and listeners. I, I would love to hear more from them about like what their experiences were with Tintin. Um, 
because it it does seem like again he he and the work seem to hold a place in their hearts that that someone who's coming at it as an adult in in 2023 I'm not, I don't quite get it like I was again I'm like a little surprised by it in the sense that I'm like wow this is cuz like like I kind of refuse to believe this is the best that it gets right like that's that and I know that RJ got low key pissed and jealous of the success of Asterix in his later years. Uh, I have also never read the Asterix, so I'm wondering. Uh, oh, I think uh, Asterix, uh, Asterisk, and Obelix is infinitely better than this right. Tintin, from what I've okay. read. Yeah, well, I was going to. I mean, because that's that that was largely the thing that overtook Tintin as in in popular culture. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you know, like eighty twenty. So, okay, there you go. All right, well, that, um, she. So there you go. Uh, the the book of the month. As I mean, you know, we you got to take. You have to extend in order to grow, and we definitely we we investigated and just found out that. Uh, yeah, it, they're, they're such as it is. Um, I, such as it is. I, such as it is. I, I read a lot of great comics this week. Unfortunately, none of them were the book of the month. But I mean, I, I got a, there's a lot I want to talk about. Well, let's do it. All do, yeah, no, all good, all good. All right. Um, this is a book that um, a miniseries actually from Dark Horse. That uh, while I have watched the series on Netflix, the thing that attracted me to this. Uh, book in the first place was the art. It is absolutely astounding, jaw dropping art. And uh, nice. yes, it is called uh, The Witcher Ballad of Two Wolves. I read the first two issues. It was written by Bartost Shibor or Stibor. Yes, Stibor. Uh, and he, I, from what I've seen, he's written a, a good amount of Witcher. Stories uh, illustrated by Mickey Montlo, and it's published by Dark Horse. Oh, good God! Um, I mean, it's a standard Witcher setup, you know. Uh, Geralt and and Dandelion, aka Jaskier, uh, the Bard, they're looking for work, right? And they 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 uh, find this this little town called Grimwald, right? It's a mining town, but it's on the skids. All the coppers dried up. Um, so in Waltz is a trio of uh, sisters, the, the, the hog sisters. And they get the lay of the land. They seize the opportunity to gentrify the place, right? Um, the, the, the people are looking for an out because the mine no longer produces. So uh, they start snapping up the real estate uh, of the original townspeople for like pennies right um one of the fairer townsfolk a young lass known as red yep and she does have a red hood uh she's got a problem her her grandmother's been acting strange uh even worse the hog sisters have set their sights on grandma's famous tavern uh is there a connection between their desire to own the inn and a werewolf <laughs> plaguing the town um grandma wolf red the town is called grimwald you see where this is going um 
so here's the deal. The, the rich are unconcerned about the werewolf because they can buy protection. But the not-so-wealthy, they either leave selling their stuff, uh, their, their real estate to the Hog Sisters, or they live in fear, right? And Gran- uh, Red's grandmother has opted for the latter. It's, it's odd, though, that all of that famous tavern silver cutlery has has recently disappeared so grandma's not as scared of the werewolf but the sister she thinks there's something going on she thinks she's she's being strong-armed by the sisters you know the that they they either uh paid for the services of the werewolf or or somehow manipulated this this beast into doing their will because they want her out and they want this tavern so Geralt has a sit-down with the Hog sisters. And surprisingly, the sisters want to contract him to kill the werewolf. The book gets really strange because everything you expect turns out not to be true, right? Um, The rumors of the werewolf's presence are scaring off the tourists. So if there's no tourists, there's no money for the sisters. So the sisters are not universally despised uh, as you think they would be, right? They have their fans, which is, again, odd. There are those in Grimwald that see the arrival of the sisters and their handiwork as a blessing to the town. Um, you know, you. Um, I don't want to uh, reveal too much about the book, but there, you know, there's one character in particular that says, like, you know, this town was on the, on the the skids and these ladies came in and now people actually come to our town where before they were leaving our town so like they're okay by me but as expected uh, it is a witcher book uh Geralt soon has a one-on-one with the werewolf and the battle does not go nearly as one might expect in fact Geralt he lets the werewolf leave why? Well, in you know, you know got, got read the miniseries. I don't want again. I don't want to give too much away. But it's also the story of two brothers, uh, Kurt and Kopek Grimm, the sons of the man who owned the majority of the town. It's the man who uh, the town was named after. Uh, you know, there, there's many twists. Many characters talking out of both sides of their mouths. Uh, yes, it's a pastiche on Little Red Riding Hood and, and her story. But that's only to get your foot in the door. The whole thing is not based on Little Red Riding Hood. It's the art that just completely bamboozles me. Like, it is absolutely astounding. It's gorgeous. Um, I, uh, let's see, something to compare it to. Uh, Dan Panoshin, maybe? Mm. Uh, a more uh, brushy, grittier Dan Panoshin. Uh, th- this Mickey Montalo, the, the men are super handsome. The women are absolutely gorgeous. But when push comes to shove, she's, uh, I'm guessing that it's a she, Mickey, M-I-K-I. Um, they are able to get really dirty and gritty with the color art too. I mean, there, there, there's a, a, a watercolor meets charcoal effect that they use in the backgrounds to a lot of the panels. I thought the, the artwork was just breathtaking and it's got me locked in for the next two issues. 
So uh, if you're number one, if you're a fan of The Witcher, uh, this is very different from the TV show. It's more in line with the books. Um, Geralt is uh, very, very gray in this. Uh, mature, older than Henry Cavill is in the TV, in the Netflix thing. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, uh, there's a really cool mix of horror and fantasy. The werewolf is unbelievably well rendered. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, the Witcher, Ballad of Two Wolves from Dark Horse. I loved every freaking page of it. Love it. Yeah. So it doesn't, it, it's not, um, it's, it's not like some of the other licensed work that uh, we read this week. It doesn't, it's not, it's not like in between seasons or picking up where the Netflix series, it, it's just, it's, it's a different, it, it's its own standalone story. It's pretty self-contained. Yeah, okay. it, it could happen. It could have happened anywhere. Um, it could have happened between scenes, like in in the TV show, going from one place to another. Um, obviously, the entire cast of the TV show is not present in this book. Right. So it's just Geralt and and Jasker. So uh, yeah, it, again, it just could have been shoehorned between any of the, the many um, stories. Of the Witcher because the original stories were short of of the Witcher that they, they didn't get to be novels until you know a, a couple of years after I don't know the original author I, 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 the name escapes me but um, the original Witcher stories were short stories and then they were grouped into an anthology and then they the, the author started writing um, novel length stories this could have been one of the original stories this could have been something that happened between book three and book four i don't know it it's it's entirely accessible you really if you've seen the show you don't even really have to see the show the witcher Mm -hmm. the witcher hunts beasties for for coin that's all you need to know yeah and you know he has a bard that follows him around singing singing tall tales uh generating the mythology of of Geralt of of Rivia it it was excellent it was an excellent miniseries so far two issues in really really good that's one thing that Dark Horse does exceptionally well I think they they realize the potential in the licensed products that they have in in their catalog and it's not uh, a shoddily constructed mm-hmm. Witcher tie-in. It is totally agree with you there. I mean, I, I think Dark Horse deserves lots of love for. I think they they the runaway winner for for best licensed comic publisher of at least if we're talking all of history, right? Like, just just I agree. Just the level of quality and, and attention that they put into these titles, it just doesn't. There's no comparison. Like again, no disrespect to. IDW and Dynamite and stuff like I'm, I'm sure there's I mean they've both had stuff that's good but but it, it just on average the quality of Dark Horse's adaptations is just infinitely better did you see the art in this thing no I haven't seen it. I mean other no I, I know nothing of this book other than you other other than what you just talked about all right well um when the episode goes live go into the uh thread on the website mm-hmm. and just take a look at these pages they're, they are gorgeous. What's the artist's name? I'm sorry. Uh, I will tell you in a second. Mickey Montlo. M-O-N-T-L-L-O. Gorgeous. Absolutely stunning work. Yep. Love it. Nice. 
I will hand it over. Um, excuse, excuse. Uh, Vince, what where does your relationship as because uh, I know you love the fan of graphics and you love the, with Jim Woodring. Goodness, have you not been paying attention all the many years we've been doing this show? No, no, but I'm saying like sum it up for me. Like, like, like I love Jim Woodring. I think yeah. I think he's an insane genius. I think there's something very, very off about Woodring, right? But in a, in a in a enlightened uh, way that doesn't translate as genius to the majority of the people on this planet. But uh-huh. as does uh, I mean there there are there are many beings on this planet that are deemed quote special yeah right right. i think woodring is one of those i think he's misunderstood i i don't think the kind of uh kind of areas in which his brain goes are not easily digestible by the majority of the things that walk on this planet but i think he's a veritable genius Mm -hmm. and i love his his drawing style yeah Okay, so you haven't read One Beautiful Spring Day yet, though, right? I don't have it yet, no. Okay. Um, This is my first significant... I mean, I'd seen Frank stuff, like, you know, like here or there, but this is my first exposure in any meaningful way to Woodring. Wow, really? Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, just in terms of, again, like, I've seen this stuff, but I I, I never sat down and read, like, a complete one of his works before. Um, And... You know, I am fascinated by the craft of comic creation. You know, as I get older, it's definitely something that I, I that that when when there's more to to it in that regard, it just it draws me in. And and this book just totally sucked me in like a vortex because it's it just goes beyond that. It's just a really compelling visual treat. Like the fact that it is. And I didn't know it when I ordered it because, you know, I've been on this pretty much buy and read everything from Fantagraphics the last few years. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, I've been meaning to get up on this woodring tip. Um, I didn't realize that one beautiful spring day, like the thing that I think is the most beautiful about it is it takes pre-existing works and recasts them. And I would argue, and I think Jim would argue that um, it is... It, it it takes things that exist and by combining them you get something entirely new, um, which I think is pretty cool. And and I didn't realize that until I started reading the book and then and then subsequently read uh, an interview with him on the in the TCJ. But um, so one beautiful spring day, which came out late last year, it's this gorgeous oversized collection uh, or book. It's uh, four hundred pages on the dot. By the way, talk about him. He's he seems like he must have OCD because. Um, you think? It, it, uh, yeah. Um, it is a – I think a lot of people dismissed it or didn't pick it up because it they viewed it as just a collection of three of his prior works, which were Congress of the Animals, which came out in 2011. I have that. Uh, I know you do. Uh, Fran, which came out in 2013. And Town, which came out in 2018. Um, now, each of those happened to be 100 pages in the dot. Shocking. What Jim did is he took those three books, which were not created with the intention of being um, part of a larger story, by the way, and combined them with 100 new pages into what is now One Beautiful Spring Day. That fascinates me. 
like that is not something you see very often, right? Where someone takes works that they've already done and viewed as complete and are out there in the ether being absorbed and consumed and enjoyed and discussed and exist for years and some and for one over a decade. And then he decides to take them all back, put a whole nother layer of story in and around them and turn them into a com- combined thing. Like that fascinates me. Um, and, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the, um, experience of having read any of them prior to this. So I don't know what and how it would have felt to read them, to read this as one thing. If you were already familiar with a lot, a lot of the stuff that was already in the book, like from the other, from the prior volume. So I don't know like what that experience would have been like. Clearly that's an experience he wants his fans to, to, to go through though, because obviously I'm sure he's assuming a good chunk of people that are going to buy and read this have read some or all of his prior. Um, you know, so, but I don't have that. I can't compare it. I, I have no comparison. But I thought it was incredible. I mean, as you say, his art style is so distinctive. And he's one of those dudes. And I was very familiar with the style of, of his art. So I'd seen his art before. But just, I mean, it's almost like 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 that like old like woodcut kind of thing. Yep. And like the, the amount of ink that he <laughs> expands on this is incredible and he is i thought there was a little the reason i'm bringing it up now i've read it a few weeks ago is, is the conceptual continuity of this and that um much like Hergé hated his early stuff and didn't want it to be in reprint or recolored or remastered you know jim very publicly admonishes his own efforts in congress of the animals he views it as a critical failure viewed it as a critical failure wow really so yeah so in a way it's funny because it's like this is kind of a catharsis by wrapping it into something new and creating something new it can almost like he can forgive himself and where you get to your point about him being quirky he's definitely quirky right like he the reason he he considers it a failure is because he's got this thing well if you've ever read those listening that have never read any of woodring like frank is this anthropomorphic uh character i i he, he looks like a cat to me but i don't know that like he's nondescript he's not necessarily he's more like goofy he's not specifically an animal of any particular type but 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 he looks more like a cat but anyway he is this anthropomorphic dude he's like a regular dude but he lives in this strange world called the unifactor and and strange meaning strange like the the creatures and the the entities that he comes across are just straight out of like a deep lsd trip they're they're you know they're they're amorphic and it's a lot of body horror and and a, uh, a, a you know a lot of just really crazy anatomy and 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 viscera um, but in a strange way also very like ge- geometric and beautiful it's it's a very it's hard to describe without I mean he's a very distinctive style but it's very memorable but this unifactor that Frank lives in is also like a life's mantra for Woodring. It's what he credits getting all of his ideas from. And like to hear him tell it, the Congress of the Animals is the only time that the ideas came to him from the Unifactor and he went against them and made something different because he didn't like what he was hearing. And I just find it all fascinating that like dude hears like voices and he like dreams about these ideas and then he puts them into in onto paper. And then like the one time in his career he says he didn't do that is when it frustrated him 
and he thinks it was it didn't work. And I just it just just is incredible to me. Like like that that this that what's going on in this dude's mind is just yep. fascinating to me. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And and I have to say the, the book is largely well no well it's it is wordless. It is it is four hundred pages of illustration and much like step by bloody step last week, I'm just on a kick right now. I'm here for it. I'm here for wordless comics, man. I need more of them. Um, oh, well, this one is true wordless comics. Yes. Okay. Yes. It, indeed, it is true wordless. Um, <laughs> so I thought it was a magical experience. Like, and it, it is something that I, I, I even I read a few weeks ago. I've had. I don't. I don't. This is a difficult one to describe. You have to experience this yourself. And it's definitely one of those things where, for some people, it's gonna be like, "Nah, it's not for me." And I get that. It, it is. It is. You kind of have to do it and just go with it. It is a. You're taking. You're taking a ride in this dude's mind, and the mind is. It's like Willy Wonka after a, a seven day. You know. You know, mycelium bender. Like it is a. It, it is. It is a strange, sometimes horrific, wonderful place. And I thought it was incredible. And I don't know if like I should be happy or sad that my first experience with this work was in this form, because it might have been cool to have been really familiar with all of the stuff in this in its original form. See how I felt about it getting transmogrified intentionally by the original creator into something new. If that makes sense. And I see, I'm on the fence. Do I get this or do I not get this? Because I have the three books. Well, is there, is there any kind of linking? Because it's a hundred new pages of stuff in, in intertwining. It okay, all. good. Go. Right. Then I got to get it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yep. So, and, 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 it, and what's interesting is it's not like he just took all the prior Frank stuff. Like Frank started with uh, oh, Weathercraft. There's a lot. Right. More. I'm saying, but like it starts with Weathercraft. At, like, so this is just a chunk of the stuff. And then there was. Frank work in between these volumes as well. So it's just, again, it's to me really fascinating. He took these three specific 100-page Frank stories and then decided to add another 100 pages and turn it all into one journey. Right. Well, I mean, Frank doesn't start with Weathercraft. Frank starts many, many, many years prior to that with uh, Jim. I'm so, I am misspoke. The, the Weathercraft is the first of these 100-page right, books gotcha. that he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Yeah, fascinating stuff. Like, I'm in. I gotta get and it. The art is incredible. I mean, I just uh, it, it's it's it is really it's remarkable. I uh, and he redrew a, a bunch of the pages as well. And in the TCG article, there's a a panel where he shows you the four and it's page forty from One Beautiful Spring Day, and it's like the old. Um, you know, the magazines when you're a kid, it's like, oh, spot the ten things different in this picture. <laughs> it is that. I mean. There are a trillion lines of ink on this redrawn page, but like objectively, when you look at it, you're like, dude, you didn't need to redraw it. Like, Seriously, there's, <laughs> there's very little. Like, there's not much difference, dude. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're crazy, dude. Like, you are a crazy dude. Yeah. Like, so I'm real into it, man. I'm real into it. I want to. I want to explore wood, Woodring for sure because I just think the art oh, is incredible. nice. I like that. So there you go. Look at that. All crowns up. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? I am going to bring us back to Belgium for a second. Damn! Belgian Obrama! That's right. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. 
Uh, we could do an IDW rumble later if it happens, but uh, this Oof. is a uh... <laughs> stop. Yeah, I didn't read it yet. No, wait. Did I say IDW? Did you? Would you mean no? I, I meant um, no. I meant uh, well. Well, yeah, there is IDW, but there's also um, boom. But um, anyway, this is from Eurocomics. It's uh, it oh, is oh, rest in peace, Eurocomics. Well, yeah, as far as, I mean, they're not completely shuddering, but they're just, they're, they're restructuring and not, um, not publishing. I don't, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a thing. Uh, but this is, um, this is by creator Deboom or uh, Debume. It, it's D-E-B-U-H-M-E. That's, um, that's an alias. His, uh, his name is actually, uh, Philippe. Bauman. Um, he's a Swiss illustrator. But um, this particular tale is called A Taste for Blood. Um, and it it's it, it it's quirky. It's interesting. Uh, the art is the art's kind of fitting. It's it's very um, it's it's cartoonish. But um, we meet Aldo as he emerges from a um, a car crash. He his vehicle had crashed. He had um, he had just uh, basically got released from prison. He is a um, he's a mobster or a former mobster. Aldo is uh, emerges from the car crash. Keeps walking for a bit. Comes across a. Um, a farm where uh, meets a young woman who uh, goes by Lou is her name. Um, and when he shows up at the house, um, he faints because he does not care for the sight of fresh blood. And she, Lou is uh, beheading a chicken for dinner. So he sees that he passes out when he comes to this dog is on his chest, licking his face um and uh and and Lou explains that you know she carried him into the house and dressed his wounds from the car accident um and and they're just having a little bit of a chat and and he's basically getting ready to um to kind of just maybe go on his way after he uh after he recuperates um but uh Lou Lou's not one for small talk, and Aldo's like, you know, trying to kind of. He, he likes to chat, and he's he's catching her up, and she's like, listen, I don't, I, I don't give a damn, I don't mind putting you up for the night, but it ends there, and and you know, after tomorrow, uh, we'll, we'll part ways, never see each other again. Um, so he's having trouble sleeping that night. He goes to the, uh, goes to the fridge, opens up the freezer, and sees a beheaded body in the lower section of the freezer and a head on the top and he's shocked as shit doesn't know what the hell's going on all of a sudden he gets knocked out um because lou came up behind him with a uh with a skillet and and knocked him out so now he's tied up in the basement and the uh the frida the dog um runs down to the basement to see him knocks aldo out of the chair um and uh and Lou's basically 
threatening Aldo. Um, you know, give me one good reason not to kill you. And um, and he's trying to tell you, know, you're not. That's that's not the type of person who. Or she's like, you just met me. You don't even know who I am. Uh, maybe I am a serial killer. And um, and he's he's basically just trying to talk to save himself and, and explaining about manslaughter and murder and um, you know premeditated and this that and the other. Uh, but he comes clean. He tells her that you know he's in the mafia, and uh, it, it, that's not a threat. It, it's an offer. Um, but she's she can't get her head around it because she's like, how's some dude? How's a mobster just gonna faint? At, at at the sight of the blood and and he's like well he starts telling her his life story dad was a butcher uh used to get rid of the carcasses so it's the fresh blood that he has trouble with blah 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 um but when frida knocked him down from the chair his wound opened up so uh so she has to redress it and time goes on and, and they're living on the farm together a little bit and he's he's um helping her out he's trying to figure out you know we we got to get rid of the body. The body is of her now, husband. Are they fucking? They are not fucking. She's mm-hmm. not interested in that. He doesn't seem to really want to. I know. Well, the, trust me. The way the way the art is, that it, it, it's not. You wouldn't really be. There's nothing to be turned on really. By, uh, so um, turns out the person in the freezer is her husband. Husband um, was doing some dirty shit with the books and um, kind of screwed her over regarding money and uh turns out he was also an accountant for the mafia same mob that aldo was a part of uh so then the mobsters they come by because they're looking for the accountant they see the wife um they're asking her questions and then they see aldo and they're like well what the hell i thought aldo was in prison aldo got out why isn't why didn't he come home um and and basically kind of like some hijinks ensue and 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 some uh, not so much miscommunication, but just um, assumptions are made and and things aren't quite clear in how they appear. And, and um, even even the local constable gets involved and he seems to be pretty sweet on Lou. Um, and he's trying to get to the bottom of things. And it, it was just it was it was a pretty entertaining tale overall. The art is. I said it's it, it's fitting for this particular story. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of actual Italian um, in the work, and uh, one of the mobsters only speaks in Italian. He'll the person he's talking to will respond in, in English, but homeboy only speaks um, Italian. But uh, yeah, there, there's there's they're they're trying to get to, they want they want the money that the accountant had stolen. Lou doesn't have it, uh, so a lot of it ends up becoming um, kind of had to just get themselves out of the situation. And uh, other hired assassins uh, come into play and how they get taken out. And some of that is kind of silly because it's like, well, if they're professionals and if they're, you know, so highly sought after as far as taking someone out it seems pretty silly that you know they would just be taken out by some woman um on a farm but they lou and aldo work really really well together um when uh it, it turns out there's even some political intrigue because the mayor may even be involved and and uh it's it's just what it, it picks up speed 
and, and some steam and and it just it, it you start to just kind of make your way through it. It, it and it just like I said, it reads easy enough it's uh it's not that heavy at all I, I i was flipping through it at first i was um europe sent me the link and, and i was just kind of reviewing it and I'm, I'm, I'm but i didn't i i kind of couldn't stop after i got a few pages in i'm like let me just flip through it see if it's worth my while i'll come back to it but i ended up not coming back to it because i just kind of just kind of finished it and um it it's we 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 get some backstory as to how why how aldo was in prison um and and it turns out the betrayal goes even deeper than uh, than than he may have suspected, and, and it was just you know he was completely oblivious to what was going on around him. He was basically just in the mob because he was going to be a fall guy. Um, but uh, Lou and Aldo make a pretty good team. It it, it ends kind of open ended, um, where where our characters end up. Um, but overall, uh, it was. It was pretty. Uh, I was amused by. It. I, I I liked it a lot. I'm going to um, keep an eye out for uh, for Philippe's other work. And um, it was just one of those things where decided to give it a shot. And uh, it was it was it was a happy accident. I'm um, I I do I tend to just like a lot of what uh, what Europe was putting out and uh and and this i'm going to check off again as as another winner i uh i dug it a lot so yeah if it, it it's only a hundred and some odd pages um but it's a uh it's it's quirky it's cute it's amusing i um i had fun with it but yeah a taste for blood from euro comics it was um it was just one of those things where i it not bogged down with anything else I needed a breather from uh, the mainstream or just anything ongoing. This, uh, this, 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 this just kind of scratched that itch. I, I like the art a lot. I'm looking at it. It looks. Uh, it reminds me of uh, Erica Henderson. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, exaggerated, like the you know, cartoony, but like in that, like in that, like uh, Kyle Starks. You know that that, yes. that 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 little that that whole crew. Like he he would he would fit in well with that with that crew. Yeah. I agree. You know. Yeah, it looks cool. I'm looking at the preview pages. I got something for Jason. What? Yep. Look at that. It's my lucky day. It's like my birthday. It's a new series written by one of your favorite writers. Are you you fucking with me right now? And and it's a a post-apocalyptic story. Oh. Oh, boy. Okay. What? No, I'm waiting to see if you're fucking with me or not. I'm not fucking with you. It's written by Jason Aaron. Oh yes, okay, gotcha. Illustrated by Alexandre Tefenki. Yeah, Tefenki. Mm-hmm. Color right by Mr. Lee Lowridge. But there are additional pages drawn by Nick DeGrada <clears throat> and colored by Rico Renzi. Yeah, it's published by Boom, and it's called "Once Upon a Time at the End of the World." Yes, it is. Did you read it? Yes. What the what? I don't see it on your list. Better look again. When did, when did you get to this? I mean, I talked about the first issue on the show. Thanks for listening, but that's cool. When did you talk about this? Oh, <laughs> I did. I did. Ah, and I made it. Uh, I, I I talked about it on the YouTube channel a couple times. Thanks for watching. I don't I don't watch that. Stuff. Oh, <laughs> I don't get the YouTube on my my TV. 
Oh, snap. <laughs> okay. Hours a day. <laughs> much, much. If uh, you were talking about comics while you were hunting aliens, that'd be a different story. So wait Seriously. a minute. Um, how deep did you go on the show with this? Because I don't remember you talking about it. I just touched on the first issue a little bit because I was excited about it. But I didn't go deep because it was the first issue and I didn't want it. Yeah. So, um, but I read the first. I read the second and third issues this week. Okay, cool. Enlighten me. Do you do you, you vibing with it or, or? Yeah, I mean, what I've what I've been saying on the the YouTube is that I'm just thrilled to have Jason Aaron back doing creator owned comics, because um, you know he's his Avengers hasn't been doing it for me, and um, uh, I you know I like I was definitely like hyped for this. I knew it was coming. You know what I mean? And so I'm like I. I definitely was uh, like I'm here for the whole the whole thing. Keeping in mind this is the first of three of three arcs, and um, and each arc is going to be drawn by a different artiste. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I for 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 those who don't recognize the name Alexander Tefanki, he was the artist on the Good Asian. Yes. Uh, so uh, he's on quite a heater here. Um, yeah, I've I've enjoyed it. I mean, I will say that. Um, I find uh, Maceo uh, annoying. Stop. But I, but I think you're supposed to. I mean, I think I think he's supposed oh, to be an annoying. No. It, it, wow. So I could not have a more uh, a, a, a opposing opinion. I think. Oh, you saw, think Matt? Why you think Mez is annoying? I think. Well, kinda. But I. But I think uh, Maceo is the heart and soul of the book. Oh, for sure. But I'm saying I think like. He's this, you know. He's the he's the he's the voice of innocence in the 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 present scenes when they're when they're young and first meeting, and then we get these glimpses late in each issue of an old crotchety mace who's like anything but innocent. Yeah, what's up with that? That's yeah, crazy. That's what I'm saying. I mean, but I, I think, and I'm I'm gonna get a little maudlin here. Mezzi shows Maceo how to survive. Yeah. In, in the world, but he shows her how to live, my friend. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's more important than surviving. Especially in that setting. Right? Yes, yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it's neat. I, I like the, the little um, nuggets drop that um, this, the, uh, the ranger's guidebook to the wasteland has a cult following it that that, yes. that wants her for whatever reason, not only for leaving them, but there seems to be another reason why they want her back, like a a, a, a reason that supersedes mere escape from whatever cult that they have. Um, and the fact that she's reluctantly brought Maceo into the fold means that he could succumb as well to whatever nastiness these people want. But the thing with the... I mean, it's so simple, but... The future pages with Dragata and Renzi, it seems like Maceo has no love lost for Mazzy at all. Right. At, yeah. So, like, how? What happened? How did We're it get find there? Out. We're gonna right. Find out over, yeah. It's 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 intriguing. I think it's wonderful. Um, the 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 world is out to get anyone on its yeah. surface. I mean, it's it's this very mad, like for those that this is like a Mad Max. What Mad Max style post apocalyptic wasteland? Right. Like, yeah, I think it's even worse know. than that though, because it's yeah, like, it seems like there's very few humans left, and then it's everything's in squalor, and and you got to just basically fight to to literally stay alive and find something to eat or water, or right, just nothing, right. nothing. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, in the beginning, she she was very reluctant to touch the water. So I'm guessing yeah. there's something yeah. going on with the the water. And then um, I thought I thought it was kind of cute how Maceo has everything at his fingertips: food, shelter, entertainment, um, like luxury in this dilapidated, des- decimated world. And he's just like, ah. I'm gonna go with you because <laughs> you're cute, crazy, and, right? Yeah, he Living just in the le- lap of luxury. Yeah, and, and he like, just nah, le- I'm going to, go on, come on this road trip. Here, hey, with you. you're cute. I'm coming with you. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> what? And, and uh, ridiculous. He, I mean, talking about uh, unbelievably, he carries a backpack that uh, no human being on the planet. It looks be. like it must weigh eight thousand pounds. At least eight thousand. And 8, then there's 000. like TVs in there. Yes, like, like he's. I mean, it's not like he has superpowers, but it. But I like that they're playing. It's almost like what we were saying about the the, the the sort of the one quaint thing you took from the first volume of of Tintin. It's like I like that they're playing with this idea that like it is comic, so it can be silly. Like he can he can be in this wasteland, but anything he wants is in the backpack. Yep. it's almost like a. Uh, it's what's a- that? Tardis. Dungeons and Dragons, the thing of, of oh yielding, the bag or, the bag of holding. Yes, bag of holding. Yeah, yeah. It, it well, it's more like a TARDIS, but okay. Whatever, I'm, you know, <laughs> you get the point. I think it's a wonderful book. I love that we find out that Mezzi's name is Esmeralda because uh, my first cat's name was Esmeralda. Yeah, but probably not spelled the same way. Is there more than one way to spell Esmeralda? Uh, the, her name is spelled um, E Z M. E-R. Yeah, that's Esmeralda's E Z N E R E L D A. Yeah, well, it's sometimes spelled E S, isn't it? Yeah, I see it mostly E S. Oh, our cat's name was E Z S. But anyway, I, I, I mean, nonetheless, I think the book is really fun. Um, and, and it's not fun in a in a uh, bright and sunny way. It's fun in a uh, more um, look how these two characters bring out the best in each other. But yeah. ult- ultimately, maybe doomed from the get go. Right. It's like simultaneously seeing this 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 beautiful, sweet buddy, you know, buddy story. But then you're getting these glimpses that it goes totally tits up at some yeah, point. Yeah, I think it's going to be very unfortunate, and very depressing. Yeah. But and Aaron um, has hinted that like you don't know where the story's going. Like each volume is going to be very different and tone and direction and it will all make sense in the end which you know I'm sure well, it will, it's who, who else is going to be drawn it do you know uh i, I don't know i think he might have said let me look I, I i don't i don't know if he announced uh who else was drawing it well i'm so. guessing there will be a volume completely drawn by dragata if he's doing the future scenes yeah let me see uh you, you know I mean, it's, it's not that important. You've got to stop the show dead. But um, oh wow! Okay. <laughs> I mean, you could have kept talking. You just, just played it off. Kidding, kidding. Slapdick. No, uh, I, I also like that. Um, I mean, I think Tefenki looked great in Good Asian, better. but this is a very different art style. Like, yeah. like Tefenki's definitely going for a different vibe in this, which is cool. I think it's better. He's better here, as in much. That's not oh, to interesting. Say, yeah, it's not to say that the you, uh, you didn't like Good Asian. No, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't think it was. I mean, it, it was good. Oh, Layla Del Duca is the artist in the second volume. Wow, interesting. Yeah. 
-hmm. No, I just like the brushiness and the 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 the, the freeness of of this this line in this one. It's just a lot of lot of just like blotchy spotty blacks that are just wonderfully and semi you know uh i don't want to say haphazardly there's a there's a calculated approach to this but it just seems like some of the shadows are just like bing bing just really quickly applied mm -hmm. i like it a lot i think it's a, it's a really cool um departure from what we saw in good aging now i'm with you there and i i i mean it really does feel it's psychologically warming to me because I just haven't felt right not vibing with Jason Aaron for a lot of years now. <laughs> I've been like, wait a minute, how's this possible? So, yeah, the weird thing about it is in Maceo, I see Mario. Interesting. Yep. Huh. I see. Our, oh, I see. Yeah, I guess I see it now. Yeah, like Beauty and the Geek version of Mario. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm not going to be able to unsee that. Sorry. <laughs> so the volume two is called "The Rise and Fall of Golganuza." Wow. And it will be out shortly. What do you mean shortly? Um, it says 2023, so it doesn't give a date. So how many issues is this going to first one going to be? It'll be. It's it's three four issue miniseries wow that's interesting so not a, a whole lot of heavy lifting and not not a whole lot of investment either but it's sorry uh it's five five issues uh, just double, it's it's three so it's 15 issues total so three five issue miniseries it's not bad at all i'm down yeah. with that yeah very then cool. i'm sure it'll be all collected together in a nice beautiful that's a perfect size for a hardcover 15 issues yep 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 uh, I, I, I liked it a lot, and I, I continue to like it. So uh, cool. Once upon a time, at the end of the world, we got Jason Aaron writing um, and uh, Alexandre Tefengi on art with colors by Lee Lowridge. And looky here, you got Nick DeGrada and Rico Renzi pushing up uh, some pages towards the end of, the, of some issues. So, what do we yeah. go? Oh, it's good stuff. Good mm -hmm. stuff. For sure. What do you got, Tit? Who's we? Who, who, there's two of us. Who are you talking? You, he to? just uh, Dap just talked. You you need to 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 say something on something. I just read. I just wax philosophically about Woodring, dude. All right. Well, no, I but let's no, but we got to talk about it. we got to talk about I I can't it can't be in the intro unless I'll talk about Darkwing Duck. All right, I got this. <laughs> Darkwing Duck number one, yo, written by Amanda Debert. With uh, beautiful illustrations by Carlo Laro, I had great, great fear for this book. Now break that down for me, just so because does. Dynamite is is known to put out some stank. The the track record um, with the uh, Caleb Caleb cover your ears, but Gargoyles one was rough. Yes, that's what I'm saying. The yeah, it was rough. Uh, they're they're the art mainly was rough. There, the visual was. hit to miss ratio over the years for yeah, dynamite for sure. is not good for right sure. uh but uh and i was saying this to to dave down at comics on the green who is a huge uh carl barks and uh don rosa duck fan uh loves anything with a beak right mm -hmm. um he's like you know i think we'll be okay with this i'm like i hope so uh maybe he obviously he knew more than i did because uh this first issue has arrived and it is glorious and i don't 
think I've said that about a dynamite book in quite a while. The the art in this book is phenomenal. Jason, do you agree? Absolutely loved everything about this first. Okay, issue. David, did you you read it right? Yes. All right. I mean, if you're a fan of of Darkwing Duck, if you you are if you came up on the cartoon, all the gangs here, um, all of the the vanity, the posturing, the the, the purple prose. The pratfalls, a lot of peas, the blunders and the slip-ups you would expect from Darkwing Duck yep. are in this book, um, right? The launch pad is there. Yeah, even though they say or they claim that Darkwing Duck is not in the same universe as DuckTales, I beg Whatever. to differ, right? Of course it is. Goblin's right? there. Yeah. Um, you got... Plus, my dude's name is Drake Mallard, and, and you know, as, a, as someone whose dad makes his living creating ducks it's that i gotta respect for that that's I, okay but you need to have a little bit more respect for the the actual inspiration for that name uh, okay kent allard ah i never aka heard the shadow oh if it makes sense <laughs> you <laughs> dick <laughs> you, will, you will take you you will you relish the opportunity to shit on the pulps you do dude if you had a, if you had a gun to beth's head and said what is the shadow's actual name i wouldn't have told i wouldn't have known well in print i mean in print and in, on the radio and other stuff there's two different lamont cranston or kent allard okay okay but it's not your fault you just <laughs> fair enough uh, the story's not very complex. I mean, um, uh-huh. it's it's Saint Canard. They were going to unveil a, a statue to Darkwing Duck to commemorate his <clears throat> accomplishments, and there's people in the audience with cell phones, and they're like, "As that was the cool thing about this to me, um, the technology upgrades were integral." Uh, to the story they weren't just like yeah let's just throw some technology in here to upgrade the 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 franchise to the present day you know uh they actually were part of the story because all these people taking photos and using their their cell phones and all this crap allowed megavolt to disrupt the ceremony exploit the cell phone technology and take over all the people using the cell phones so um you know must destroy darkwing they 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 try and bring darkwing duck down launchpad saves them it, it, it it's it's a very there's a lot going on but it it goes by really quick because then you got Gosselin and 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 uh honker they're in a band called Bad Ducky, and they <laughs> it's really cute it's, it's cute stupid, but i like it and and honker has a squeeze box like Pick an instrument that's not going to get you the ladies. Uh, a squeeze box is, is going to do it. Uh, so they plug in these giant Marshall stacks, and the voltage of their instruments attracts um, Megavolt, and he has the mare under his sway, and the kids are captured, and Darkwing has to save the day. It, it's just fun. It, the, the issue was just a whole bunch of uh, fresh air fun, and I loved it. I thought it was great. And I'm totally bowled over by the visuals, which I did not expect to be this good. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen Carlo Lauro's art before. but And, and admittedly, I mean, I don't know if this is how they would draw like any story, because obviously the task here was to draw it to look like 
the Disney cartoon. And uh, but I think that he was spot on with it. It worked exactly. Um, and and I think uh, Dynamite's uh, gaining favor from their relatively uh, new approach because they got the license to do Scar, the 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 Lion King villain. There's a series. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But when I, as soon as I opened the, the first page and I th- saw the title of this story, Darkwing Duck mm-hmm. in The Dark Flight Returns, I'm like, all right, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Yeah, I thought it was just pitch perfect tone, look. I mean, absolutely what I would want from a Darkwing Duck comic. So, Yeah. Uh, what did you think, Tap? It looks amazing, and it, it, it reads like... An episode. It, it just, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, the action, just the whole, the, the conflict, the getting to the bottom of it, the big bad, and 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 the resolution. It just it it clicked. I think that um, I I would not. Um, I mean, I'll I'll be back for the second issue. It, it's um, it was. I was happily. Uh, surprised i wasn't going to um after the gargoyles i wasn't i i I, it wasn't necessarily something that i was going to seek out until you mentioned it on on the slack that um you were pleasantly surprised of it so i figured well then i will definitely at least check it out and and i'm glad i did yeah um i know our our book caleb was really was stumping big time for the gargoyles book but i'm just well, even the preview pages that are in this aren't aren't that. I mean, and listen, if if it's it, and Lord knows, I mean, I've been there. I I didn't care how bad the presentation was or the story. If if there's a property that I'm a fan of and and it's in print that I'm going to try to support, it's. I mean, like like you know, some of the some of the milestone stuff could maybe fall in that category where it's like listen it's still milestone i want to support it because i want it to continue it's it's um it's it's similar to that but i mean after you read dark wind duck and then you get to some of these preview pages for gargoyles number one i'm like it's almost like it's a 180 yeah yeah i love you but i don't understand the i mean i do based on what you just said but i i i don't understand throwing money at something that you're not vibing sure. on. Sure, no, there's that too. No, you know no, what I mean. I wasn't vibing on it, but yeah, because it because the counter of that is, you know, listen, well, why are you going to reward something that you know it, it could be better? So, so all you're doing is letting them know you're satisfied with what they're doing, even if it's the right. below expectation. Well, I got a question you know. for you both. Ooh, look at how this. do we go? How do we go from the Escorza brothers on the last Ronin to fucking SL Galant? <laughs> No, not stop, because I picked it up thinking, oh, cool, this is going to be fun. And, like, I mean, S.L. Gallant is the artist who I ripped because he did G.I. Joe number 300, and I found it to be an absolute affront to the fact that they were ending the series on that dude's art. It it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, because um, I would say uh, most assuredly that The Last Ronin was the biggest selling most high-profile book that IDW had last year, without without question. I mean, I would uh, think so. Not last year, but the year, whatever the mm-hmm. year it came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I would and, think so. And then to follow it up 
with yeah uh sl gallant like it just doesn't make any sense to me does not compute it doesn't uh one would like throw some money at uh, and, and I, re- I really don't want to shit on gallant's work uh, here it in in the last ronin it's not he does have an inker in this which definitely it, helps yeah it's say. it's not an affront yeah. right but it's not comparable to the the original series at all um throw some money at somebody that can that can handle it right uh, i don't i don't know i don't know yeah i i want to remain optimistic it's not entirely uh horrible so um <laughs> yeah i, I mean what's the artist That's what we want in our comics no what's the no, other artist name the other artist in the book um oh it was um uh, those pages are really nice yeah so so's the uh so's the one eastman page um, it's really not. I mean, it's <laughs> Kevin's like, how much am I getting for this page? All right, here we go. I I can buy that peach house, I so, guess. Again, uh, then pencils. I saw Gallant inks Marie Maria Keane. Now pencils and inks Ben Bishop. Ben Bishop. Yes, there is a one shot coming up. I believe it's in this previews, uh, where it's just Ben Bishop on pencils. Uh, and maybe I don't know who the inker is, but I'm very appreciative of that because I think this Ben Bishop is 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 really talented. Uh, I don't I don't know. Again, I just don't want to smear Galat, but his work is it's it's okay. Uh, but I want more than okay on the last Ronin. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm like, saying. That one cover with with Mikey with the the. The hat? The, yeah, the hat. It's just... It's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, it's, dude, it's, Simon Kudransky's over somewhere like, bruh. It's, uh, I know. Thanks, thanks for taking some of this heat off. Maybe they share a studio. I oh, went, damn. Could you imagine? I'm going to outdo you on this one, bro. No, it's not nice. Let's not go there. No, we we got to keep right. it that's up not, here. That's not, no, we're not about that life. No. Right. But the, the Eastman cover is great. I love the Eastman cover, and I bought the Eastman cover. Same. But if if the Gallant cover was the only cover, I'd be like, yeah, not a good look. But it is the last Ronin, so there's not going to be just one cover. I don't know. I would think, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to repeat myself. It, 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 we are, we are, we got to play it where it lays. So right. let's just continue the course. Yes, sir. Yeah, that ain't you. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for being here with us one more time around the the bin. Uh, we hope you'll join us after all that. <laughs> come back, uh, come back <laughs> next time because we love you so much. In the meantime, uh, give it on up for our patrons. Uh, they make this possible. Eleven o'clock comics. Uh, I, that's not the URL. It's patreon.com forward slash eleven o'clock comics. Check it out. Remember, Kangor. Sabretooth Swordsman, um, Jack the Radio, Crowdfunder, January 30th. Check it out. Um, in your travels. All right. Um, I hope this doesn't take a whole lot of time, but I bought, read, and enjoyed the new uh, relaunch of Rick and Morty <laughs> from Oni. <laughs> it, it, written by Alex Fuhrer, F-I-R-E-R, not Fuhrer, Fuhrer, uh, illustri- <laughs> Fire. Fire, whatever. illustrated by Fred C. Stressing, 
and Gina Winbrandt. Color art by Andrew Dahlhaus. Of course, it's published by Oni. Um, I have many questions. <laughs> it's like this. How about you bringing up Rick and Morty in a week when uh, the, seri- the, uh, the the show is in serious controversy? Yeah, well, I know. Yeah, well, the, 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 the co-creator is. I mean, the show's going to continue. They're still getting their 10 seasons. Yeah. How does that work, though, when the dude creates the show and is the voice of the two main characters? He... <sighs> Chris Pratt. It, it's, I mean, you know, it, it, they're, the, no Blanc is no longer with us and, and we're still getting some Warner Brothers stuff. It, I know, but like, doesn't he own the I, show though? Like, no, he's, he's a co-creator and, uh, I'm sure he was an executive producer, but, um, I don't know how the, the, the deal works with Adult Swim and, and the studio, but, um, They'll keep doing the. It, 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 maybe it's like Red and Stimpy with John Kay when when they booted him in Spumco and and they kept the cartoon going for for at least that other season. I don't know. Um, I mean, because he, he also see, um, he got dropped from his other shows now too. He got he Hulu Hulu cut ties with him as well with Solar Opposites, yeah. which was basically like an alien version of Rick and Morty. And then there's he was Koala just a performer, Man. a voice on on Koala Man. So yeah, but he's it's gonna be rough for him, but. Anyway, go ahead. No, I don't want to make this a long, drawn-out thing, but one of the joys of reading these Rick and Morty books to me is piecing together the seemingly nonsensical shit that goes on and trying to make some kind of sense out of it. Like, there's some... Rick and Morty, in the beginning of the book, they come out of this thing called the Everywhere... And they're featureless. They're just blobs of white. And and they 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 come into this whatever universe and they put eyes on and fucking hair and like so am I to believe that this book features characters that aren't the real Rick and Morty? No, this this is But this but, takes place after the fifth season. I don't know what that means. I know, I know you don't. But when he, when he, when he keeps referring to the fact that there are no more Citadel of Ricks and and they're, they're got all that part, and I'm right. guess I'm guessing it's like the Parliament of Reeds, right? Yes, it's so exactly like that. it makes sense to me. Um, but they're just blobs of they're anthropomorphic blobs of nothing, and they put eyes on and stuff. Like, are Rick and Morty not human? They are. So they are. So how does he turn Morty into a fucking missile? Like that doesn't make sense. He, he also he has jams Morty into a car. Fr- he, how? Like he 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 jams he's stuff a in the scientist. That's not good enough an explanation to me. <laughs> it just doesn't. There's one point in this book where Morty is just like all guts and shit, and and Rick's like, oh yeah, just press his ear. He'll be, he'll yes, be okay. He'll like, put it back together. Yeah. But how? Like, see, this is what I, this is why I love. I'm loving these books because they're so surreal. It's like Grand Guignol. Like, what does this stuff mean? This character called Goldenfold. Right, mm-hmm. supposedly he's like this math. He's the math teacher. He's the math teacher for at 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 Rick and Summer at Morty's in summer school. Gotcha. Why are there so many golden folds though? Because one of the premises of the show is multiple dimensions, and so this is a golden fold from all dimensions. 
there many, are many yeah, dimensions. I mean, yeah, you, you get to the second page and, and it's just nothing but um, multiple golden folds from all across. Yeah, and universes. it's cool. It's fun, right? But yeah. And so golden fold is pissed at Rick because now he has double science. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just throw words together. Yeah, it, it's, they, just, they just run with it. It, and it's, and it makes no sense to me. You're right. You're right. He's like, yeah, we just got back from this rogue universe and we stole their science. And now we got double science. And it's like, <laughs> what does that even mean? What does it mean? It's, yeah, Jason, I wish you were reading these because it they're absurd. They are really absurd. But I'm having such... There's one section where this this creature comes up and he goes i'm from the illustrated paperback cover dimension and i'm sin dog the pulse tooth the fact that there's an illustrated paperback cover dimension fills me with great joy and <laughs> I, and i and i need to see more of it like it's just so silly yeah it seems like it's an incredibly wildly creative show oh very much yeah, yeah. and uh, or not, that, i mean i know this is a comic but yeah just the yeah, concept rather but yeah. i love it i just dab mm-hmm. what cover did you get uh, I, the, um, the, 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 I, I have the preview from Oni cause I, I had to go back to the shop. I got to go back to the shop and get the, the, when I was picking up my books yesterday, the only issue that they had the, um, the, the main cover, cover a, but I have, I, I have seen, what, I got the one with the comic convention. I love that one because I was I I've I've seen all the covers and I was I, just like Fantastic Four roast or you know issue two fifty and 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 I'm looking at the um, I'm looking at all the characters on that comic convention cover. The, so those are all villains, right? No, where with uh, where he's talking about um, how how this is the new number one and and we're gonna have a reboot. No, yeah. th- these are, these aren't all villains. These are these are various. Um, they're just characters you 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 would have seen over the years on the, oh, um, okay. on the show. They're not all bad guys because you gotcha. got you've got the Beth clone down here on the right, and you've got um, Ants in My Eyes Johnson. There's there's <laughs> the first the first two seasons. There are two episodes Stop. from the first two seasons where where Rick Rick fucks around with their cable box, and he gets interdimensional cable, and they get ads you're watching commercials and some shows of programming from other dimensions and there's <gasps> there, there's, that seems there's like a, fun yes that's what i'm telling you so there's 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 dude they, they do, i'm telling you i will take the bridge if i watch the show it's just too much i know i know but the the, the, the interdimensional cable the two episodes there's they, they do a whole thing where um there's a whole the, man they bring out Jan Michael Vincent. Oh my god! Of all actors, and Marty's sitting there like, "Who? Who's this?" And and Rick's like, "I don't know." He, he did like some show, like Air Air something, and and there's a uh, there's another show where the the this planet there's a who's the boss, but every oh, word god. starts with 
SHM. So like it's it's Shamantha <laughs> and Shmangela and it's and and it's like all right, well that got annoying fast. We and got, they, I was they, gonna they, say that sounds like it would annoy this. No, shit right. Out of no, him. we and recognize it, so he just skips to the next channel. But move, then they get to the commercials. <laughs> I know, but then they get to the commercials, and Anson My Eyes Johnson has he, he runs an appliance store. And he's like, everything's on sale. I think. I don't know. I can't tell. I have ants in my eyes. <laughs> and he's on fire. He's like, I don't have any pain receptors. He's like, I think this is a microwave. It's not. It's like an iron. He's like, this is a TV. It's an uh, oven. And it's just, it's it's so ridiculous. It but is. It, and, and so that's, so a lot of the characters are from the various episodes from the years, but on, on that cover. This was, I, I love that they, um, I, they, they have Rick's drunk stutter down pretty well they yeah or he's ang- anxiousness pretty well handled on this issue i dug it a lot i noel Goldenfold's niece seems to be a new character i don't remember seeing her in any of the cartoons so i, I think she's created for the story um but i love the cliffhanger at the end where now we have a different rick it's just i the fact that they can kind of just go create and they're cognizant of whatever medium they're in they talk about the fact that they're doing you know episodes and seasons right you're watching a tv show here Um, he's talking about this new first issue so it's very fourth wall breaking stuff it's just this is it's but uh but buyer beware if you are a rick and morty neophyte like myself and you think this new number one is going to answer questions you have it's there's this could this is the farthest thing from a number one that you could possibly expect it is not a traditional number one there's no catch-up page there's no uh setting the scene before the first pan none of that it is just like here's rick and morty boom you got to know everything that happened before. He, like Dab said, this happens between season five. Like, what the hell does that even mean? Like, I don't know. But the joy for me with this book is piecing together all these ridiculous little bits and trying to make sense of this surreal, nonsensical, crazy ass universe. And I'm really enjoying it. Did you see the manga Golden Fold is reading? Yes. Who's a mathy? But it yeah, I mean no, it's it's I mean the, the, the jokes are very similar to um they're they're either quick or the way they land, they're just kind of um real quick, under your breath, kind of snark attacky kind of stuff, and that, that that's very reminiscent of the uh of the show. It's it's done well. And there's a reason yeah, why I mean great. only aside from only having that the the, the original long running ongoing that lasted like five years like 60 issues or so then they have then they have tons of the miniseries with different offshoots and now they have this new ongoing it's i mean it's it's only's cash cow it's i I would assume it's it's fantastic but yeah so i'm gonna this this is my in your travels is too then as well so 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 nice well i'm it's and it's weird because now i'm in for all the rick and morty books i'm done i'm in the Cthulhu, has, has the Cthulhu wrapped up? No, it's two more issues okay. left. Okay. Yeah. Because I know that they, they, the back of this issue had the uh, the announcement for the trade. Yes, two more. Okay. Rick and Morty Orama. There you go. Boom. Boom. Well, um, in your travels, um, I it's weird. I, I read a book that I thought was brand spanking new, and it, in fact, is a reprint of 
of a book that came out in 2021. I did not know that. Uh, um, I, I like I must have missed it completely back when it was first solicited because I saw it as a brand new book and ordered it through through previews and it arrived and I'm like, oh. Um, but uh, this is a creator that we have, especially Dap and I have praised multiple times over the last few years, and that is Mr. Corin Shadmi. Yes. Yes, um, we have talked about uh, the Highwaymen and uh, and the Twilight Man, which was uh, a awesome uh, bi- biography uh, graphic novel about Rod Serling. And um, so this book is Lugosi: The Rise and Fall of Hollywood's. And as you can guess, it is another biography uh, graphic novel. This time, looking at Bella Lugosi, um, and. I knew next to nothing about Bela Lugosi uh, before reading this. And I think that uh, Shadmi is extremely talented at bio comics because what he does is he takes a person that, um, you know, probably like on a day-to-day basis didn't have all that exciting of a life per se. I mean, you know, and other than like what they're already known for, but he takes, he uses the power of comics and, creates the, like uh, an artistic presentation and mechanism for each of the works that that makes their story that much richer you know and and I and so what he the visual tricks he uses in Rod Serling's story are vastly different than the tricks he uses in Lugosi's story but um, as I said I knew I knew almost nothing about Lugosi other that other than that he was you know an actor and obviously is one of the seminal figures in the in the Universal Monsters build up but I I, I didn't know much beyond that and and it was gripping stuff I I have to say I, I was like oh this dude is hella hella interesting and a pretty and a pretty tragic figure too um you know had a, had a had a things didn't go well for him after the uh those those early hits so uh yeah I very much recommend it if all, all I can say is if you like biographical comics and if you've heeded our advice in previous adulations for Shadmi's work, you'll love this too. Vince, you I mean you got to read it cuz I well you probably know know for Lugosi's life inside and out already but but I think it's a a pretty compelling visual manifestation of it. Yeah. Morphine addict. Yeah, and that's how the book starts, him checking himself into uh the hospital in his uh later years as an addict. So Yep. Claim to fame, plan nine for modern space. They do not address that in the book. Really? Wow. That's when he was at his, uh, uh, arguably, his lowest point. They, um, I mean, they do spend a big chunk of, of time with his friendship with Ed Wood and, yeah, you know, his later career. But, uh, but yeah, they, they don't, I don't recall that they mentioned Plan 9 specifically. Wow. Okay. So, so. there you go. Um, hey, everybody. Thank you for being here with us uh, once again. We hope you come back. In the meantime, buy some comics, eat some really good food, hug your loved ones. Not hot dogs. <clears throat> and what's wrong with hot dogs? There was a Slack thing today about like if you can only pick three stadium foods to keep, what would oh, you pick? Oh, right. The vast majority of people picked beer and hot dogs, and I was like, wow, you couldn't be more wrong. Wow. <laughs> no, see, I wouldn't pick the hot dogs, no. I would go with the beer, the pizza, and what was what was another one? Wasn't there um, peanuts, pizza, fries, peanuts, nachos, nachos fries, yeah. soda? No, beer. no, no soda. Beer, pizza, and probably fries. 
I'm with you two of the three. No, you don't want the beer. No, nah, fries and pizza are must, though. Nice. I say goodnight. What's his name again? Ford? Fred? Um, <laughs> uh, David? David. Um, no, that's not the, the... I'm not saying your name. Uh, but I will say David. Ah. <clears throat> Had pizza tonight for dinner. Hi. That cauliflower stuff. Yes, Beth made me homemade cauliflower pizza. I'm sure it was awesome if she made it. It was phenomenal. <laughs> Got off the bike, showered, came down, and was sitting there waiting for me, fresh out of the pizza stove. Oh boy, David. How about that? How about it? It was glorious. Well, sure. I do a bit. Got a special guest next week, people. We do. Uh, but you may hear from us before next right. week. Yes, because we have some uh, some bonus, bonus episodes to, to give you. Some business and there's there. nothing finer than doing this multiple times a week. That's right. So uh, get out of here. We love you. Tell them how much. Go birds. Huns. Birds. Dude, the Eagles are in the NFC Championship game this weekend, dog. Okay. Mom, it's where you been. Yeah, but I don't know what, what he means by birds. What? Seahawk's a bird, too. It's a bird. So oh, my God. You live in Pennsylvania. So is a Seahawk. Bro. That's a bird? Bro, but you live in Pennsylvania. When you hear birds in Pensy, you got to think eagles. First of all, I don't know where Pensy is. You live in Pennsylvania, dude. It's not what I call it. That's not what anyone around here calls it. Okay, well, people in Philly say Pensy, so I don't know what to well, tell you. That's Philly. Same. That's it for that one.